Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Finder Perspective. Hi, Alex. Hello. I'll be honest. My name I'm is Brad. You got the exact timing down because normally we add the intro in post, but now we did it like in the recording thing, which is if you watch, if you're watching us, you saw us vibe to the intro. When I guess normally, I don't know what you did the other time. Like, do we just like sort of fade in on the right time? But I think you hit yeah. the exact note you always do in post too before you started talking. Which is like I like I like having it right at that little spot. That's that's yeah. the go-to. Uh, but yeah, my name is Brad. Otherwise, I was Brad. Through this is Alex Lockdwayne. We're here. Hey. We're doing more pioneer things, and this is Thursday. We're th- it's on. We're Thursday. You're you're Friday technically. I'm, Friday. I'm Thursday still. Okay, so we're recording on. Normal people time Thursday, future people time Friday, and actually, I kind of like that. Sounds like a great band name, Future People Time Friday. Damn, that that does sound like a punk <laughs> band, right? Like, right? I'm okay. Okay, I'm going I'm, to I'm the punk genre. It. We're doing that. But yeah, we had this past weekend some cool shit. It was the Pro Tour Phyrexia, which okay. I have one thing to say because we're we're going to talk about Pro Tour pretty much the entirety of the episode. A little bit of uh, March of the Machine spoilers and stuff, including one March of the Machine aftermath spoiler. Which is like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's a small... Okay, just so you guys know, it is a standard legal, small, 50-ish card set that releases about a month after March of the Machine. I, I just have, like, no idea. Like, I guess. I'll believe you. Like no, I no, thought this was going to be a I full watched, set. I watched the stream. It's a mini set. It's fifty. It's fifty-ish cards. Fifty-something cards. That's it. Wait. So that means we get March of the Machines, then this yeah. set. Yeah. And then we already go. Is it Ixalan or Eldrain? The one after Eldrain first. Ixalan is twenty twenty-four, uh, like February or whatever. It's uh, the next year winter set. No, I w- I want Ixalan now. Damn it. <laughs> No, you don't get it. You have We're to wait. We're getting first. Eh, I'm going to get mm-hmm. more broken cards. Uh, Maybe they've learned their lesson, but yeah. No. Uh, Martian Machine, the Aftermath, is a small 50-something card set that is standard legal. And it's basically, you might as well just say, you know what? Actually, hold on. Maybe. Maybe. Because I don't know. Are we getting uh, those weird extra boosters in March of the Machine. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that Dude, are like, these are legal still, but they're separate packs. They don't come I, in the main set. I have no idea, right? I've reached a point where I just wait for the full set to come out, and then I go to a card on Scryfall, and if it says it's legal in Pioneer, I'll believe them. Oh, like, yeah, that that's works. the point that I've reached, because there's all these weird boosters, and then you look at the collection number, and it says, like, 7 out of 15... And I'm like, I don't know where these 15 come from, but sure. Well, we're getting that. But maybe, maybe that replace. What, what if that's their little like thing? Like that's replacing. That's like a test thing. This might replace those because that those weird little packs, like the ones from like Theros and stuff like that, where we got like the the angel, the two drop angel. Yeah, that's a staple. That's like seven dollars because it's an uncommon and that weird fucking. <laughs> side pack thing what if this is just a replacement of those because that's essentially the equal amount, i mean those right? are like, like the worst cards. product they've ever made in terms of like card accessibility so sure they want to jam it all into one mini set every year that you still can draft then i guess so it's still going to be something that's 
going to be I mean, maybe you could draft low it. Spot. That sounds like you, a very interesting drafting format. Yeah, like a draft a format where you can really, like, force an... If you play that sealed, you could probably just force something. Because the set is so small. Well, it's 50 cards. That's 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 a deck. <laughs> right? Like, just everyone's could, playing the just, same deck. They should just sell the whole set as one commander deck. Just 50 cards, 50 lands. Finally teaches people that, like, you should run more lands in your commander deck. And then... Perfect. Perfect. I figured it out. Thank you. You're welcome, <laughs> Wizards. So, yes, we had the Pro Tour... You watched it. You just finished watching it today. I watched a good chunk of it. I watched the finals. I watched a decent, a few matches in Toppy. I didn't watch all of them. And I also watched a few of the... Actually, I probably watched way more gameplay of the qualifying like rounds like while they're streaming it of like, uh, you know, like just your round robin initial ah, like, yeah. first bit yeah. of rounds and stuff. I think with like a bit of skipping through and the vault wasn't complete everywhere. I think that was even live. But like they would like randomly skip things. Um, yeah, and they would they would show there was a, there was one where it was uh, uh, Benson who um, or Benton Benton Ma- Menson what fuck the, the S Benton Madsen Madsen so Benton they, I watched his seven and game versus uh, I can't, can't remember who it was but they were on blue light control and they were also seven and but it was one of those games where it was it already happened and it was the commentators commenting over the recording live on stream. And they accidentally switch to the post game interview prematurely, <laughs> and like you hear Benton going, uh, going like, "Yeah, whatever, whatever," and everyone's like, "Spoiled, spoiled, spoiled!" <laughs> uh, in chat, it was great. It's kind. Of, it reminded me of um, you ever watch Bob Ross on Twitch, like the yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. like if like when he's messing with a painting or making his painting. And then partway through it, he does something that makes it look awful. And everyone's like, ruined, ruined, <laughs> ruined in chat. And then when he fixes it, everyone's like, saved, saved. <laughs> I love Twitch chat. It's fantastic. So, yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, so, okay, yeah. What did what did you think? We'll, we'll go over the, um, the top eight and stuff like that first. but Or not first. In a bit. But let's talk about first the overall... The, the the level of like production, how it looked, how the stream felt, if you were able to catch that, like what did you feel about it overall? Oh yeah, so so I watched all the vaults, so I don't know how like the stream exactly went, but um like I thought it was fucking great. Like yeah. I think the production was good. The fact that they especially in the early rounds, they were actually purposefully behind so they could like skip through shuffling and skip through mm. sideboarding and that sort of thing made it really clean. Like so there was you were just constantly watching magic. Obviously, like at least like while the round was going, you were constantly watching magic. Also, obviously it doesn't help that Pioneer is a format where we do shuffle a lot less. So most of the shuffling time is the shuffling between games. Yeah. Um, the commentary was great. I, I always love Marshall and Paul Chion. Like, I think they're a great duo. Um, I think they've been doing it since the RC in the US with uh, Alias V and Corey Baumeister. I, I love them too. They're a great, great casting team. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to... I forgot the people at the desk. I think it's... Is it like Maria and... Was it like money or something? Because it's like that money and the machine thing going on with the with the like nineties computer in the absolutely graph. Absolutely 
zero idea who any of these people are in terms of their names. I recognize their faces. Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, but I've I remember seeing you in like the Mythic Championship and stuff like. Oh that, yeah, no, I looked that. them up before we started recording, so I got people's names right. Otherwise, I would have forgotten half of them. Do and you're still uh, forgetting some of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm still forgetting some. But uh, Cedric Phillips doing the interviews was great. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's Cedric. Like this man is like made for being on productions. Um, so that was all great. And then the magic was so fucking good. Like the level was really high. Uh, I loved another production thing that they could very easily switch between um, player mics and commentator mics. And they, I think, they caught a lot of like really fun, cool moments. Uh, even in like earlier rounds, just if like there was like a bit of like what's going on, they would just switch to table mics. And you could just hear like players talk about something or ask a judge for something. Uh, that went really well and just really Especially like, in some... the finals. Yeah, and put some life into it, right? Like I loved in top eight, Nasif had already like I think Nasif, yeah, Nasif made it to top eight, right? Yeah. Um Oh he did yeah, yeah. So yeah, when he, got he knocked won... out first round in the quarterfinals. Yeah, but when like he won, he already won one game, I think that was in the top eight, he just like hardcast a shark typhoon and just said this one's for Twitch chat. Like you could catch that. And there were like multiple of these moments. So even the players were just entertaining, right? They knew they were on a broadcast, and like especially Gabriel Nassif, like he's so good at it, right? Like I think yeah, the course. lightning helix is with him. The cruel ultimatum flip is with him. Like he's a real showman, and like that's just. just I always love seeing him on. Like even with like control decks, right? Which people are a bit slow. When he plays those, he gets to make it entertaining, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, like, great deck diversity. Like, we had so many decks on. We saw new cards from the set. You know, we've seen Alish Norn. We saw Ossification. We saw, like, a lot of, like, cool new toys from the new set, but it wasn't, like, ruled by the new set, which I thought was perfect. Um, really showed, too, that now... Uh, now you really see like the pros putting in ludicrous like games again. Like people, okay. like, oh yeah, I played like hundreds of games of this deck, and it like it showed, and that was so yeah. much more fun. Then I think in the RC, a lot of pro players defaulted to Phoenix because I feel like it's like a deck you can much more play with just raw like game knowledge because it's so much about just maximizing i'm not trying to like say that phoenix is an easy deck but i think what makes phoenix difficult is just like managing your resources but that's a thing you can learn through other formats so yeah. if you've played a shit ton of modern and a shit ton of legacy you will probably still know how to like manage your hand size and knowing that you have enough spells to play on every turn and that sort of thing so then a lot of people were on phoenix but now we've noticed that phoenix is actually not like it's still good, but it's not that good of a deck compared to other things that you can figure out through much more testing and much more game time. And also different, it's very different, right? A pro tour, um, mm -hmm. just a very different environment. Uh, I think Crew 3 refers to these people as FNM champions. Like they, they show up at an RC because they spike an RCQ, but they don't make the pro tour. So you know it's a very different field. Uh, if a deck is like generally seen as weak, you're not going to see it at a Pro Tour. Because at the Pro yeah. Tour, no one is like, oh, but I like the deck. No, they're going to play the best deck. So, different yeah, that, There's 
so two things. One, when you talk about like uh, the knowledge that all these players have of like their decks and even their opponent's deck, we saw a few moments of that in the uh, the finals with Benton and uh, Reed Duke, where Benton would just straight up call shots of like what he has in his hand. Like it happened like three different times, where there was a moment where he creativityed for one, and he's like, "You got the oh, okay, yeah, in your hand." Yeah, you got yeah. in your hand. <laughs> Uh, and then there was a moment where he, on turn two, Reduke um, cycled a Shark Typhoon for zero, and he's like, you have another one in hand. And he did. Yeah. Like, just knowledge of just calling it was really cool to see from... Uh, yeah, from man, like, so obviously for Reduke, like, this is so deserved. Like, Reduke yeah. is such a legendary finally, player. This is his first pro tour win. He, like, no one deserved it more than Reduke in that building. Um, And, but... Fuck, I love Benton. What a guy, right? Yeah. He, first he pro the one tour. That qualified this was first pro tour. Like his, yeah, he qualified uh, on like his phone. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he qualified on his phone. phone. Yeah. Um, like, came in. Obviously, uh, some people in chat were like, I'm sorry, but some people in Twitch chat need to go and touch some fucking grass. Oh, yeah. Because he's very chatty. Him touching cards. Yeah, or like that he's chatty, right? In the finals, it's like, oh, he's being he's so great. annoying. I love him. He's, but he was great. Also, you're in your first pro tour. You're in the finals against Reed Duke, right? So obviously you're nervous. And it was yeah. very clear that he was just chatty because he's nervous. And not like in a bad way, but just like when people get nervous, some people get chatty. Also, not to be rude, but you're playing Auras. So mm -hmm. you don't have to think through many lines right before a game starts because your opening hand is Glade Cover Scout. Keep. So, <laughs> so like... Oh, he was yeah, talking I, with Reed about public transport at one point. Oh yeah, that's what I was like, with like the hot love thing this in the guy. beginning. It was great because he was oh, like, he said, he said fucking something, and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, yeah. and I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, he chill. said like what like, game story be played in, and like people, he would say something like, oh, people be fucking thrilled if you show up at their game yeah. store. <laughs> yeah, so good. And is I he wrong? Is he no, wrong? He's also not Come wrong. On. But he was fun. He was entertaining. He was clearly a very good Magic player. Like, absolutely, like, you know, someone I will be, like, cheering on when I see him, like, show up at future events. Great guy. You know, just go Benton. The, I love the guy. The commentators should not give a shit about Benton dropping the the F-bomb and just saying fuck on stream. You know why? Because Magic is marketed as a 13-plus game, which means uh, canonically it is a PG-13 product, which means you are allowed one F-bomb per movie. Oh, but I know the, the casters don't mind. They're just jealous because yeah, they, thought, they, they don't get to do funny. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. But, like, it's uh, happened before. It's just always funny. What was it with Brian David Marshall? He mm -hmm. had someone say, like, the F-bomb during an interview, and then there was a picture with him on Twitter where he held, like, the card sensor in front of his mouth. Like, just, like, moments are great. Like, I just got was, so happy um, watching. Uh, yeah, I was too. One thing that made me really happy was the fact that we're back to this format of it being... Because in the name, being Pro Tour Phyrexia, um, I... My favorite thing about Magic in all Pro Tours, especially watching it when, like, when you and I first started playing around the, you know, Amonkhet, Aether Revolt, you know, mm -hmm. times, when you had Pro Tours come out, like, a week after a, a new set came out, and the cards are just available, and people are trying them, you have to scramble to figure out, like, where they go and, like, how good they are, 
that is one of my favorite things of magic. And I know they actually went away from that for the last few years that was gone. Yeah. We had like, late there was none tours. of this scrambling. Yeah. So being back to that formula, uh, insert fucking the Spider-Man meme of fucking, uh, <laughs> Norman going back to formula and just fucking killing the guy. Uh, but yeah, no, that was great. One of my favorite things about it was just that simple. Yeah. Obviously thing. matters less when pro tours are eternal formats and not standard. Like yeah. in standard, you would see like the meta of an early pro tour. Like Jerry Thompson won with mono black zombies. I remember he won pro pro tour Amoket. And by yeah. the end of that standard format, we had figured out zombies was a bad deck, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to be the case here, right? Because it's an eternal format. Uh, this deck ran, I think this deck ran no new cards. Like I'm pretty sure it ran zero new cards or at least close to zero new cards. Which deck? Um, the creativity, obviously. The deck oh, that yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't. It, it, um, yeah. So, what was the newest card? In, I think was the, was the newest card a Midnight Hunt card in that deck? Like I do, yeah. It runs Fires of Victory. I don't know if it. No, um, isn't there like one of the lands or something that is a newer card? Oh, I mean, if they're running the fucking the uh, no. No, uh, I'm looking at Reed Dukes' list. The lands look about the same. I mean, they're running Shiv and Reef, but that's already in the format uh, prior to its printing. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, Hellbreaker Horror is the newest card in there. It's from Crimson Vow. And Secrets of the Key. Uh, yeah, but that's from Midnight Hunt. That's the set before. Yes. So, anyway, um, so I don't think it's going to shake it up that much. I do still prefer it. Uh, because we did see like a big change in a mono white humans deck that cut brave the elements in favor of ossification, which mm -hmm. is you know as Madsen put it too brave. Hey, you hey, know, pun intended. Hey. Is it brave or is it exactly what I've said when we talked about this in our top eight or top ten? Well, yes, it's a good card, so it's just a good call. But I can, but going into a pro tour. And a lot of people, I think, would say that being mono-white, part of the reason you do that is because of Brave. And mm -hmm. then you just cut the card completely heading into the Pro Tour. Like, I would somehow, yeah. somewhat consider that Brave, especially because the, it is a very uh, good card in a mono-green matchup, and you are cutting that card. I would I would argue that Ossification is the correct call, but maybe the three Skrelv in Mono White Humans is a little weird. I found Skrelf um, so dodgy in that deck. Like, I'm not I think, saying it's I think necessarily... makes sense. Oh, and, and in Auras it makes complete sense. Um, but I find it iffy in Mono White. Yeah. Because you saw these draws where it just felt like, man, this deck is just fucking slow now. Like, you know... So I, I wasn't too sure on that because a lot of people, like, it pairs well with Thalia, and I'm like... Yes, it does, but it also doesn't. As if, as in, Skrelf is a one drop that doesn't attack mm. in a deck that generally wants to attack. It's a one drop that doesn't receive or give counters to Thalia's lieutenant. Right, so there's some problems with the card. But also, you have to look at what what decks are you trying to hedge against uh, with Skrelf, like Rakdos and stuff. When you already, I would argue, have a fairly decent matchup with Rakdos. I think it's closer to 50-50 because it comes, it comes down to does Rakdos draw all the fuck removal in the world and drop Shieldred yeah, or do like, you power through it? Like, 
You, and, then, you, and then you're taking out Brave, which also hurts that matchup, I think, a little bit in a way. True, but like, for example, there is the clause that says that the creature can't be blocked either. I can imagine mm. that with Adeline is like a way to still like kind of do the thing that Brave did, like punching through blockers uh, against something like Mono Green. So I'm st- I'm very hesitant on it. Like I'm not sure if I would wouldn't rather just run more one drops. Like just more, mm. I don't know, Kithian, recruitment officers, Dauntless bodyguards, that kind of thing. Uh, especially Dauntless bodyguard, but I guess you you have to play Dauntless bodyguards after, and you can play Skrelf beforehand. But I saw a few spots where I really felt like, man, Skrelf looked really bad here. But then I guess I was a bit biased. So if I had looked better, maybe I found a bunch of spots where I'm like, fuck, Skrelf's great here. So yeah, I need to. Look. I mean, you also you know top eight finish, so it's hard to. Hard to say. Also, didn't they make it to the? Yeah, they made it to the semifinals. So they top four finish actually. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Like, uh, what was his name again? Sorry. Uh, Takumi Matsura. He he played phenomenally well. Like. Yeah. You know, like you could argue, like, hey, should Scrawl be in your deck or not? But like, hey, again, he's a way better Magic player than I am, so he's probably right. But um, man, I could not see. I to be honest, for the whole top eight at least, and I think the whole pro tour. I haven't spotted a single obvious mistake, like watching. Like I can't yeah, re- I don't recall so pointing out a time I was like, "Oh, that was like definitely wrong" or something. I was like, "No, like near, especially the top eight was basically flawless gameplay." Um, the match first from Reduke on Is It Creativity versus uh, Derek Davis on Enigmatic Fires is one of my favorite matches of Magic I've ever watched, um, for like all the good reasons, like. First of all, again, the whole package, right? Coverage was good. Uh, the game was easy to follow, even though the decks are fairly, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, I thought the players, like, when the mics were on, they were communicating very well. Uh, Reed asked the judge for some clarification, and it went, like, exactly how a judge call should go. Ask a question, get answer. Ask for clarification, get clarification. No complainy, timey-whiny. Judge call took 10 seconds, you know, like, and the game resumed. It was great in that way. Uh, there are fantastic lines. There are some really fun moments, like a Derek stealing Xenagos and then having enough devotion so he could attack for yeah. lethal with it on the next turn. Like, just that match was. Even though I already spoiled part of it, sorry. If you haven't watched the whole top eight or something, just watch that match. It was such a good match. There was a ton of cool, was fun great. lines. Yeah, I'd watch the whole top eight, but if I'd want to watch one match, it's Reed Duke versus uh, Derek Davis. Fantastic. So yeah, I mean, I guess we might as well just get into the top eight. So real quick, let's get into the top eight deck lists, and let's talk talk about some notable absences in top eight. We have, as I heard someone in my house scream, um, I don't know if my mic picked it up. Hopefully it didn't, because otherwise what am I fucking paying for with this mic? Uh, anyway, so notable absences are going to be no Mono Green Devotion in Top 8, no Arclight Phoenix, uh, no no Phoenix decks in general. Um, are there any other absences that you think are surprising? Uh, you said no Mono Green, no, no Phoenix. Phoenix. Um... I mean, there's obviously some different decks that are very popular, right? Mm-hmm. Gruul, uh, Gruul Boats, Upsung Grease Fang, 
But then again, Pioneer has so many, like, sort of, like, known entities of decks right now. You can't fit all of them in a top eight, because it's more than top eight, uh, more than eight. So, I guess, um, Phoenix is the, no, Mono Green is the biggest one for me. That is a miss, especially because yeah. it showed up in pretty large numbers. It was the second most played deck. Uh, by quite a shot above the third most played deck, which, by the way, was Gruel Boats, which also didn't show up. So that's a notable absence. I think Phoenix actually makes complete sense. Uh, I think it was Martin Yuza who said it, and it was basically, he was talking with Cedric. I was like, you know what you do like with Phoenix, and on like turn five, you cast like a bunch of spells, and then you get back a couple Phoenixes, and you think you're doing great? Yeah, what if you do that, but your opponent dies? Right, and that's what is it. That's what creativity is. Like, I get to turn five, my opponent blows up. So I kind of get the like, why would I play Phoenix if I can play creativity? Kind of deal. Uh, so I'm not surprised that didn't show up. Mono green. I mean, I still feel like the deck just has a huge target on its back. Uh, I can also imagine a creativity matchup if we look at the top matchups. I think Auras can absolutely beat the shit out of Mono Green, like no problem. Uh, humans had a pretty good Mono Green matchup. Um, even Rectal's mid range with like Misery Shadow, like the matchup isn't terrible. I think Creativity shits on Mono Green. Uh, it runs a whole bunch of cheap removal. Um, it runs a bit of counter magic, so it can stop them. And on turn five, your opponent just dies, and the deck doesn't use artifacts. Like it uses treasures, yeah. but it hardly ever actually cracks them for mana. It pops them with creativity, so doesn't even need to use those. Same for the clue tokens; uh, they're artifacts, but you don't really activate them at all, so that doesn't matter too much. And uh, the other two were Lotus Field, which I cannot imagine Mono Green beating that deck like consistently. I feel like it's a toss-up. I mean, they, they they both gotta have the nuts, right, to get into their combo, which is yeah, both like, around turn four, turn but five But, like, combos, Mono Green so. isn't built for the nuts anymore. Like, if Mono yeah. Green was still, like, often on, like, Teferi, who slows the sunset and that type of thing, where, like, that devotion build needed something, something silly like only six devotion to combo, to actually combo off with for the instant win... And now on Mono Green, you need like 12 Devotion to do that. Which, like, the deck can get to, but it's obviously much less likely to um, race a Lotus Field deck if you're not on the Teferi stuff and you're, you know, like, always these few flex slots that Mono Green had, which has often become, like, Voracious Hydra or Lovestruck Beast or cards like that. Red. It's got mushrooms and onions in it. It's fun. Okay. Just thought we'd have. I'd stop quickly so we can hear about your dinner. Is um, it's pasta <laughs> something with mushrooms? Oh, pasta with mushrooms! Look at that. Yeah. But yeah, those flex slots have gone to like these sort of anti-aggro cards and not into the like combo harder game plan. So I get it. Um. So if you look at this mon- this top eight, pretty hostile to mono green, because I still think in most people's eyes. It's the boogeyman of the format. Mm-hmm. I could see the Pro Tour changing that attitude. I think like, well, maybe you know, is is it creativity looked very good? It did. So it did. like 
that looked like if I would now have to make a call for what the best deck is, I might say it is is it creativity. Like even if it would have lost the Celestia Auras, I wouldn't have said Auras is the best deck. Um, but creativity just looked really, really good. Like they had made an exceptionally good build of the deck. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't know if I can say it's the best deck. Um, I, I, that try not to look through it through the rose-colored lenses or the fact that we saw two exceptionally skilled pilots make True, it was Gabriel Deceive and Reed Duke playing the deck. So, <laughs> yeah. Two of, if not, like, I, I, I would say outside of LSV and Brian Kibler, probably the other two most famous Magic players when you, you know, quickly think of them. Because, I mean, I think Yellow Hat's there and Reed Duke, especially now that he's gotten his first win, definitely yeah. has to reach that kind of threshold of popularity so again two really really good magic players um, but it's combo control and that's always like the scariest scary. kinds of decks yeah. in good hands right it's and it, it's not inverter it's not inverter um that deck was better but it is similar in the way that that was a combo control deck and you saw that like a well-piloted inverter deck could beat could beat anything, and that is what creativity feels like. Like it can beat anything, um, especially because I think none of the lists had any sweepers, and they had some rending volleys and stuff. But like, if we would get to like a very aggressive meta, well, they could just start running that. Right, they could just start running some sweepers. They can start running, I don't know, like a card like Etherize in order to deal with auras if that car if that deck becomes a problem so it's got tools to deal with any problem you can throw at it and it's already such a good deck and it has already beaten all those decks that it could gun for harder if need be yeah that's the scary thing about controlling combo decks that they can easily pivot to just small adjustments here and there in the 75 whether it's the board or the main deck to be more well-suited against uh, whatever's predominantly taking up the field, right? Yeah. And you're in red-blue, so you have removal in your red stuff, and you have counter spells in your blue stuff. So I think you can pretty much easily pivot uh, in a lot of different directions to make sure you have what you need. So yeah, talking about, like, you know, other decks that we're missing, like Grease Fang, I'm not shocked by. Grease Fang's so RNG-heavy. Um... Where, like, if you do well, it, it performs nicely. It can even still be stopped when you get your combo going. But when you brick, that is one of the worst bricking decks, yeah. I think, in Pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not shocked by it not showing up here. But it was, like, um, the field was low on Graveyard Hate. So that's where I thought, like, it can definitely have a shot. Uh, I think that was David Inglis, I think he played it. And that was, like, his reasoning. Like, he wasn't sure on the deck, but he definitely was like, people are, like, low on cards like Leyline of the Void right now, so I can abuse that by being on Breeze Fang, and I think that was, like, a good call. But I do agree that, like, it's a deck that has, like, some level of consistency issues compared to some of these other decks, and that'll get you sometimes. And in a Pro Tour, if that'll get you happens twice and you lose twice because your opponent is just a really good player, you're now out of top eight. True. But when it comes to Grease Fang, 
Sometimes you don't really need to worry about having graveyard hate because sometimes their own deck just kind of beats themselves. Yeah. With the consistency issues. I think I, I actually would argue that decks that are better suited to uh, persevere in metas where there's less graveyard hate would be Phoenix and Lotus Field. Um, I think those are the two decks that are can make better use of that. Lotus doesn't Absence. really need the yard, though. Yeah, but Leer's really good. Yeah, true. Like, there was a lot of Leer showing up in these mm -hmm. mouths, but man, they even, like, you know, just to add to one of the cool things that happened this Pro Tour, Azakama was cast in top 8. Like, that was just cool. Same as, oh, that was so cool too when he went up against Duke and he tapped out for Dragonlord Dramoka and Reed Duke was like, oh yeah, I left the combo in. Like, I didn't go to the Hellbreaker plan like you maybe thought I would. Creativity and has exact lethal by swinging with the, I think the Goblin Shaman too. Or I think he swung in with, yeah. a, with a flipped Fable for the extra two damage. That's always nice. Being able to attack with your fable, even though you don't you don't have to do the whole fucking copy and you know uh, tap copy tap thing that yeah. turns. But I know, so yeah, Greasewing not there, Monogreen not there, Phoenix not there. Are you at all shocked? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe shocked feels like too harsh of a word. Of like, I can't believe it's not there. Maybe mildly surprised or even for some people listening, pleasantly surprised to see zero copies of blue light control in top eight. I think that's a very good deck still in pioneer though. One of the, the harder decks to play. I think the problem is, is that the field is wide open in pioneer. Like this is as open as a meta can be. Like, like a lot of the people pointed out who are playing on the Pro Tour, and I 100% agree, in Pioneer right now, and I think Corey Baumeister said this too on the coverage, uh, he said it's something like, the couple few percentage points to swap to a deck that might be better is not worth it compared to pilot skill. Like, so if you have reps in with a deck, and you're mm -hmm. good at the deck, and you think like, oh man, Lotus Field might be a tiny bit better. It's actually not worth it to learn Lotus Field unless you've got like a lot of time ready because the percentages are so small. So in a field where you might encounter a lot of pro players just playing comfort decks, the field is so open, what the fuck do you register for a 75? Like, that's what I've been struggling now. I finally thought I had my list down, and then this Pro Tour happened, and, like, all these different decks show up, and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go back to the drawing board, like, so badly. <laughs> like, and that's after the Pro Tour. Now, imagine yeah. you're preparing for the Pro Tour, and you only hear whispers of decks that other teams are playing. Like, I am switching to a proactive deck, like, absolutely. Yeah. Which every deck is here, basically. Like almost yeah, every I, deck okay, that makes sense. currently is a proactive deck. Even if they have like Rectal's midrange has a lot of reactive elements, especially now that it has Shieldred, that is a deck that can actually just play pretty aggressively when it has to. And Blue White Control can just never do that. It, it can never play fast. Like that deck cannot yeah. win before <laughs> turn ten. That's fair. They gotta run some uh, Dream Trawler again or something. <laughs> 
So oh yeah, sort of tap out on turn six and then win four turns later. So, oh, there was See, a play. Then, like, yeah, there was a play when it was Benton, who was seven and zero, going against uh, uh, someone on Blue Eye Control. Also, this Blue Eye Control list was playing. Uh, I think it might have been a Yorian list uh, because it was playing Omen of the Sea, which I was like, oh, oh that's weird. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then. Uh, they made this weird choice to just go like, all right, I'm going to attack you with, uh, with my, uh, my man land. And they kind of punted the game away. Like it was later in the game. It was like turn like eight or nine or some shit. And Benton had, was like building up, uh, uh, you know, his auras and everything. And then Pona's just like, yeah, attack you with, with the fucking thing. And he just cast something to protect it. Or give it indestructible or something like that, or big enough to survive, and he's like, "Yeah, that's fine." And then they lose the next turn. Like that—that was—that was probably the only play I saw where I was like, "Why? Why did you do that?" In the entire Pro Tour, and then Blue Eye didn't make it in the top eight. So there you go. And like it was still like pretty well represented. It was almost seven percent of the field. Mm-hmm. Which is like the highest blue white finish that I can see is seven and three, which I guess that's seven and three in constructed. Yeah, I think they also played X Bounds of Limited by uh, Alex Strange. That's that feels weird. Um, just my name is Alex, and I'm Alex Strange. And I'm like, did I like it's strange to read it out, but then haha, wordplay, it's your doppelganger. Yeah, exactly. Also on a control deck. Actually, no. This is my. This is not to insult whoever Alex Strange is, but this is my evil, evil twin because they're an Azorius. Yeah. yeah. Like so, this is my evil twin, but I am also considered evil because I play control. But he's the more evil twin. You play the boss control though. True. I, I literally have my Nope T-shirt on like right now. I don't have. <laughs> I have a Terrifier T-shirt on. Does that count for anything? <laughs> That definitely makes you the evil twin too. Look at look at Art. Look at him. He's so pretty. <laughs> Little Isn't clown he cute? boy. Yeah, him. he's very cute. Prior to us uh, recording this, I was playing Dead Space and trying to find a save point to fucking be able to stop what I'm doing and record this fucking podcast. <laughs> and uh, I need every single one of you to spam Alex on Twitter. Or Discord or whatever to tell him he needs to play Dead Space on a stream. Dead Space is a horror game, so no. Yes, you got to do it though. No, you gotta, I got I I got to see you play Brad, something. I own Dead Space. I haven't played the it. remaster. Do you know? I have no idea. Was, I think it was it, like this was years it, ago. It I think out. it was like on sale on Steam and it was like three bucks. And then it's I was like, I guess I'll game. buy it, and then I've like never actually touched it because Dead Space is one of my favorite franchises. Um, Dead Space Three wasn't that great, but Dead Space One and Two were phenomenal, and they just remade Dead Space the original uh, for like the new consoles, like Xbox Series X and shit. So I picked it up, and I've been having a blast playing it. It looks beautiful. The sound design is one of the best sound designs in any game ever. Period. The atmosphere is great. Playing with like good quality headphones on your head makes it like so much more immersive. And the part of what makes it so immersive, in addition to the great sound design, is the way that the HUD and the actual gameplay works itself. There's no HUD on your screen while you're playing. 
your way of seeing your health is you have this bar on the on the back of your character on back of Isaac and when it's full it's blue and you can see it drain down and get to yellow and then red that's your health and you also have another little meter on your back of the, of your suit that's your stasis so that's how you see your health and your stasis and stuff and then when you pull up your inventory it kind of like has like these holograms I'm sorry that's just a hud with more steps like you it's, can but say it's better. There's no HUD, but here's these three things on screen to indicate things that are happening. Like but that's it's, a HUD. But it's part of but it's part of your physical character. Yeah, okay, I suppose. Like it's it's part of the suit, like built into the suit. It's like a literal tube on the back of the suit that shows it and all other characters you see in the game that are wearing these uh these rigs also have them. So it's a canonical oh, part that's of the game cool. of like, yeah, yeah. of how it works. It's not like you're the special one, you have this. It's, you it, have it's, the bar on your back. Yeah, no, everyone does. All the characters do. And when characters die, you can see the bar deplete. It's cool. Um, so yeah, I think I think the HUD the HUD system of way they did it is far more immersive. It is a game you should absolutely play. And I think Alex, I know you don't like horror stuff. I know you're not a fan of horror things because you get easily scared, and that's okay. There are many people like that. But I feel like this game that I'm offering you to play is a far better alternative to get your feet wet, so to speak, in the horror genre of gaming, more so than something like Outlast or uh, Alien Isolation. Because those are games, especially Outlast, where there is no fighting back. You don't have weapons. You don't have anything to hurt the people trying to oh, kill you. Yeah. You I, can I only couldn't run. I can play those games. I can play those games. Which, those are my favorite I, to play. Honestly, I love Atlas because I love the feeling of, like, I can't fight back. I can two, only run away. <laughs> two friends of mine bought a game. It's called Escape the Backrooms, which mm -hmm. is kind of like a scary game. It, I mean, you've got, like, monsters running after you to kill your ass, so I suppose it's absolutely a scary game. And they were like, yeah, play it with us. I was like, absolutely not. I backseat gamed the fuck out of that. I just... They streamed it on Discord. I had their screens open. I was playing Battlegrounds on my other screen because I, I had to have their screen small anyway because I couldn't watch it full yeah. screen. And I was like, no, this is this is enough for me. This will do. <laughs> like, I like that I can, like, tap out whenever. <laughs> and it was well, fun to watch really them squirm, up. to be honest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> then it was entertaining. I can watch someone play... Or, to be honest, I can't watch someone play Outlast. I'm like, nope. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but dude, Outlast is another game I love so much. Like it's fucking that that's a like that kind of game is also kind of scary. Alien Isolation is like the middle ground where like there's the xenomorph trying to kill you. And uh of course that's scary in its own right. And you can't really kill it. You can kind of stun it to be like, I'm gonna run away, and then you can hide in lockers and stuff and like hide underneath things. And then like you'll be like underneath like a desk hiding and then you see the xenomorph walk into the room looking around for you and you're like for the love of god please don't check right here go the fuck away and then like the ai is so good in alien isolation because the xenomorph if you're the kind of person that like that hides very frequently early in the game it learns that and it starts checking lockers and like under places where you can hide it's it starts figuring that out so if you hide too frequently and then you hide later on as you get to like the mid game 
it's like, oh, I know where this fucker is. And it, you see it walk around, walk past you a few times. You're like, okay, it's not, it's not seeing me. Then it walks towards the door of the exit and then just fucking beelines right to you to like, jump scare you. It's fucking amazing. Oh, no. It's, like, games no, are no, so no, cool. No, 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 no. Well but made, I'm give, but I'm telling me. you, Dead Space, because you get a cool plasma cutter, and you're like, I'm gonna shoot their legs off, and now they're <laughs> crawling after me. <laughs> they're not, and then also, also, Alex, you have stasis, where stasis is like kinetic kind of thing. There's kinetic stasis where you can pick things up and throw it at stuff. So the cool thing is the arms of the, um, oh, I'm blanking on the necromorphs, or what they call it in Dead Space the alien race, uh, the arms of the necromorphs become like these giant spikes. And when you dismember them, you can uh, use your kinetic to pick it up and you can launch it back at them and like impale them with their own arm spikes, which are cool. And then there's the other part of your stasis, which like slows things down. So like there are some obstacles in the game where there's like a fan going really fast or a door that's broken, just slamming over and over again, where it would kill you if you step into it. But you can hit it with your stasis, and then it slows it down. And you can also do that on the enemies. So if you're like, oh, fuck, that scared the shit out of me, just panic stasis. They go in, Now they're in slow motion. You're like, this is better. I can I shoot can their laugh. legs now. <laughs> so that, that's why I think Dead Space is, is the horror game that is appropriate for you. And I need everyone else that's a listener or viewer to, uh, you know, encourage you. To play some Dead Space for all of our entertainment. Eh? Do you know what eh? game I do like, Brad? Magic the Gathering. So, coming, yeah, circling yeah. back to the Pro Tour, um, where where do you like think we like go from here? Because again, there's no little mono green that's shown up. I don't think that means it's a bad deck. I still think mono green is an incredibly powerful deck. Um... But do you see, like, are there, like, any sort of, like, shifts or whatever that you're anticipating, like, seeing this happen? Uh, seeing, like, the Pro Tour happen? Hmm. Alex, that is a phenomenal question. I'm going to have to give you credit, as a wonderful co-host as you always are, to ask me these very hard-hitting questions for our listeners. And I will give you the answer just after this ad break. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys want to support the show in any way you can, you can go on patreon.com slash the pioneer perspective. You get access to early episodes every single week. You also have higher tiers where you can suggest segments and full episodes where we can actually talk about what you want to hear and other tiers that allow you to get merch and things like that. Otherwise, you can go on inkgaming.com through the affiliate link down below. You can get stuff with our faces on them, things without. Either way, the affiliate link helps out a lot. You can also check us out on playingpioneer.com, where both Alex and I have various articles every single month, and as well as following us on Twitter at Bradsifer and Alex Lockthwain. Join the Discord at Playaway in the link down below. Play some paper magic with us. Talk some magic in general. You can also ask questions on the mailbag as well. And of course, quick shout out to Card Hoarder for letting us join their creator network. And if you want to get some cards on MTGO for rentals and you don't want to spend a bunch of money, go ahead and use Card Hoarder. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. I fucking love this website, dude. This Man, is great. That was that was great. Ma'am. I got some extra garlic bread. If I can speak correctly. Garlic bread. Garlic, garlic bread. bread. Oh, it's so good. And fresh mats. Look at this. It was goodness.
You did, you just wave, did you just wave your cheese at me? Yeah, no, I, no, I like I mozzarella. On a pizza? Mm. Hell yeah. I love the pizza. Like, the traditional kind of like where they just throw like the little slabs of mozz on top and you it's not even covering the whole pizza. It's just like random spots of like melted I mean, Those are the best spots. Yes. Hmm. Like, you find, like, the highest concentration of those spots on your pizza, and that's, like, the part you keep for last. I think the best part of any pizza is one that has roasted tomatoes. Like, not just tomato sauce, obviously, mm. but, like, actual, like, roasted tomatoes on the pizza. These. My favorite shit. All right, so you asked me a question about do I see the uh, trajectory of Pioneer changing in any way, shape, or form, or anything's on the horizon as a result of the Pro Tour. Right? Did I give a good synopsis yes. of what you asked? Um, I am going to say to the detriment of a lot of Pioneer fans that Karn is not going to get banned anytime soon now. Um, I still think he should. Mostly because... Fuck Karn. Because that's the thing about game... Yeah, game design, right? Fuck Karn. Like, it's, it's hard to balance stuff because... Karn is arguably a very pushed and powerful card. I don't know if he's game-breaking broken, like something like Inverter in the in during that time, even though it was Stasis Oracle that was the problem, not fucking Inverter, but I and I will die on that hill. I also die on the hill that You will Kethis get exiled on that hill. Garbage. Garbage. Kethis is a horrible card now in Pioneer's current landscape with the Oh yeah. Kethis would not be a good like have you seen Lotus Field? It's just that deck, but better. Yeah, yeah. They don't. And they don't have to play diligent excavator. <laughs> it's just that meme. Like he does what I do, but better. Um. But yeah, I don't think Karn's going to get banned, and I think that's a thing of like you, they're going to look at it and say he's not as oppressive. They're going to hold Pro Tour results in a high regard, which they do historically magic and wizards that have held these events in pretty high regard in terms of bannings. Now, of course there's things like Aetherworks Marvel um, and those kind of things that do make a difference of, and that's, that comes from more of the, the lower level of play, like the locals, the, the, you know, like uh, qualifying events, P, uh, PPTQs and things like that. Those are where they'll look at like stuff like Aetherworks Marvel, but that's also for standard but then we saw the, how good energy was after that hit. And everyone's like, holy shit. And the Pro Tour is just all top eight decks were pretty much energy dot deck, whatever flavor or color you want to do. Oh, and a, a couple vehicle decks too. And they're like, wow, this tune of Aether card is really good. And they hit it. We don't have anything like that pro, uh, coming out of this Pioneer Pro Tour. Um, and unless Pioneer gets in a spot similar to its combo winter where people stop playing the format because of Karn. I don't think it's going to get banned anytime soon. And uh, I don't think it's a very fun card. That's why it should get banned. Not because it's necessarily too good, but it does have potential to be broken in the future. So that, that's the one thing that comes out of this is the trajectory change that there's no more Karn banned. The other thing is, is that creativity will become one of the most played decks on MTGO for a while and then immediately shoot back down to the 1% where it belongs because people are not skilled pilots with decks like that. I don't know. I, 
I see like creativity like being like a deck that remains also because it's similar to Rakdos mid-range not as much but similar to Rakdos mid-range it is a deck that like modern players will understand uh, yeah. even though that deck is based on Archon of Cruelty where they will often like creativity for one because it's more to just get like a really strong card in play and not necessarily just instantly win the game I think the same concept of like combo control, make tokens on end step, obviously that's done through its lands with Dwarven Mine. That's not a thing we're doing in this format. But in a similar fashion, it is a deck that people can see and people will understand why it's powerful. And I think that makes it a pretty appealing deck um, for people who make their way into Pioneer. It's also a pretty straightforward deck not saying that like it is a control deck so it's hard to play like it's hard to play well but just have a bit of it like keeping some you know lands and spells and like occasionally just oh oops my opponent takes 30 um that that playing that part of the deck isn't very difficult so in that way it's also a deck that you can like pick up and have results with pretty easily so i think that in particular is a popular deck that could be a popular deck similar for the fact that celestia auras just frankly wasn't a good deck before because its mana sucked and now the deck has a good mana so i think even without the pro tour i could see celestia auras becoming a popular deck um in a similar fashion it is a deck that is pretty easy to understand and relatively straightforward to pilot, but really powerful. So again, that feels like a recipe where someone getting into the format will gravitate towards a deck like that, right? If you've played yeah. Modern Bogles, you can play this deck. Like, it's the same deck, like, for all intents and purposes. And all um, it takes is uh, one reprinting of a Bogle. We will never get a reprint of Slippery Bogle. Okay, I'm like, saying a bogle, like a, like a, a, a one mana hex. Oh, but still, even, we will okay, we will never even, get those. Okay, we won't, but we'll get we will get one mana ward stuff. Oh, like absolutely, a, like a one drop with ward one. No, I I think they'll like push ward it even two. further. I think I think they'd say ward three on a one drop. Vanilla, I mean, no, listen, fun. vanilla. No, I'm one not drop, saying no other. Okay, stats. my my a sound with ward three. My sound there was not that I don't believe you, but the fact that I just really don't want them to do that. <laughs> That's that's what that sound was. Yeah, fuck your fatal push. You can't even touch this till turn four. At least if it's green, I can rending volley it. Can't be countered. Ha! <laughs> you can abrupt decay it, so like at least there'd be like more answers to it. Yeah. Even though that would make me play green. But I don't know. If this is a hot take, but I will tell you that I feel like not too far from now. In the coming weeks, we might see auras be played more than humans. Yeah, I, I can see that. Humans wasn't that represented at the Pro Tour. It was good, but it was like 6% of the field. Uh, I think of, other than Creativity, which is like a deck that like most players just will not touch with a 10-feet pole... Um, it was the least played decks of the decks that went to the top eight. Top of my head, I might mm -hmm. be wrong on that one. Um, and 
maybe because it's just like even though it's a very powerful aggressive deck, it kind of like feels a little too fair at times. It does. Uh, if you look at what other decks are doing, it is, it is an extremely fair deck. I think deceptively hard to pilot. So for a lot of players, it will feel like a weak deck, and that's probably because they're making small mistakes and like losing inches. Which you just kind of can't afford to do with this deck. It's in that way, it's like a true aggressive deck where it looks easy to play, but then you pick it up and you're like, holy shit, this is the hardest magic I've ever played. And I think that's definitely a thing that can happen with mono white humans. So, and you know, Auras doesn't have that. Again, there yeah. is like, for example, I'm sure a lot of people who will be like, maybe like inexperienced or whatever with these type of decks, these type of matchups, will think Benton made mistakes in the finals with his mulligans. Because I think he mulliganed to five, mulliganed to four, mulliganed to four. And I would say, now I'm no pro player, but I wholeheartedly agree with his mulligan decisions. Like, I think I would have done the same thing. Actually, I think I wouldn't have done the same thing because I would have gotten greedy and looked at, well, this is lands and spells and then keep it and then get my ass beat. And yeah, he actually no gave pressure. himself a chance, right? Um, so in that way, like the deck is like very straightforward. If you just get your mulligan decision right, that's like 90% of the game. So yeah. I could totally see Celestia Auras being a more popular deck in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and you're talking about uh, Monoi Humans being deceptively hard to, uh, hard to pilot. I think a great instance of that is the fact that uh, Thog's Lieutenant is a card. And I know you've played Humans a bit. I, I, I own the deck and paper as well. And I'm sure you can attest to the games where you have three or four mana available thousand attendant in hand and you have to determine do i go my one drop one drop thousand attendant to make those cards bigger or do i go thousand attendant to buff what's existing on board first and then the one drop one drop that are going to be smaller but they're going to buff thousand attendant herself in yeah that that small little tiny piece of yeah and like, those things look in sequential but they are like they are the difference between winning and losing and grabbing those percentage points is what's going to make mono white be like statistically good or statistically bad. And yeah. if you do, and I'll be honest, when I've played a game, to me it feels like I have no idea. Like mm -hmm. in a majority of the situation, like sometimes I do. You know, this is a very like you know out of thin air example, but I am sure that if that would come up. Uh, Matsura would always give you a well thought out answer and like with like good reasoning and I half the time would be like I don't know it felt right you know yeah, like gut feeling <laughs> yeah like my gut told me this was a good idea and yeah you're right that's like a huge difference already like these type of small gains um, I also Real think quick. yeah you go first Real quick, just so people are aware, because we might as well do this now. Your top eight representation of Pro Tour Phyrexia was Derek Davis on Enigmatic Fires, Reed Duke on Is It Creativity, Chris Ferber on Lotus Field Combo, Benton Madsen on Selesnia Auras, Takumi Matsura on Mono White Humans, Gabriel Nassif on Is It Creativity, Nathan Stewart on Lotus Field Combo, uh, Shota uh, Yasuka 
on Rakdos mid-range. Just so you guys have an understanding of what decks we're talking about when we're speaking about the top eight and the representation of what the top eight was. And yeah. Good job us doing that 40 minutes in. Um, eh, well, I mean, there is a little bit of that you know, uh, assumption that if you're listening to this episode, that's going to be probably know something about the pro tour. Uh, yeah. You, you know who won, you know what the games were for the most part. And, and uh, I think one thing I wanted to touch on, and this is, to be honest, it is a thing that like kind of pisses me off, but this is just like, I have a strong gripe against the Kamigawa land cycle. And that is that Lotus field used to be a budget deck. And then it decided yeah. to pick up 150 bucks worth of lands. Like, if you buy the precom, if you think I want to get into Lotus Field and you buy the precom, your deck isn't even close to as good as it is now. Yeah. Because this deck running, f- in this case, uh, I just grabbed Nathan Stewart's list three Besaju in the main, two Aldoara in the main. And I think it has a yeah, it has another Besaju in the side. This deck basically plays fifteen lands and everything else is spells. And some cards will occasionally be lands to make sure that you have two lands in play when you play your Lotus Field. But for the most part they're they're spells. And that is ridiculous. Like that is such a enormous power boost for the deck you saw i think it was nathan stewart he might have been playing against uh mono white humans where at one point he used a combination of odawara and beseju to like protect his ugin for two turns in a row and one that game was chris because he's the one who uh, played against mono white humans in yeah. uh, top eight so just through like Bouncer Adeline, uh, Besaju, your Mutavolt, Besaju, like, I don't know, I, I don't know what it was exactly. It was something like either another Mutavolt or like a portable hole that had a grazer under or something. Like, just to like hold back, hold back, and keep that Ugin in play to start killing the board with. And that just showed off. I looked at that, and I just got angry. I'm like, this land cycle is bullshit. So I mean, unless you have these lands, you is. I mean, I think Odawara's kind. Of, I think the whole land cycle is bullshit, but I definitely think Besaju is by far the worst because I don't get why that thing is fairly priced. Like yeah, all of them are overcosted because they are on lands, which is ridiculously good. And with Besaju, they were just like, "No, we're just gonna put Assassin's Trophy on a land." Yeah, and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> like, in a la- yeah. we're gonna put Assassin's <clears throat> Trophy. I know it's exactly Assassin's Trophy, but we're gonna put "quote unquote" Assassin's Trophy on a land and give it one fewer color. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, at least both Lotusfield combo players got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Uh, right, up, right off rip. Oh, also that. Had- do respect this deck. Like, the reason this yeah. got through is because this deck got zero respect for, like, a half a year. Now, it did show up occasionally, but it's still... And it's still going to kind of have that, because there's a lot of people who just don't want to play a deck like Lotus Field. So it's not going to be super represented. 
So people are going to be unwilling to devote sideboard cards to it. I'm reaching the point where I was like, should I again? Yeah. Like, should I start running, like, I don't know, something? I would want something that can catch, like, other matchups, but do I want to start running, like, Extraction Effects again, or do I want to start running Notion Thief again, or something like that? <laughs> Excuse me? We are top eight played out in the way of... We had Shota versus Derek, Rakdos versus Animatic Fires. Derek made quick work of Rakdos in what is possibly the best matchup in all of Pioneer uh, Enigmatic versus Rakdos. Oh yeah, this is like the most one-sided matchup in the field. Yeah, and I, I feel so bad for Shota to like <laughs> make it that far, get to top eight, and then all of a sudden pairings come up and you're like, yeah, your, your first yeah, match we're is done. Uh, the worst matchup possible. So uh, I can definitely emphasize with that. And then we had Reduke take care of Nathan Stewart in a 3-2 split. Uh, is a creativity versus Lillifield combo. That uh, was a reverse Takumi. sweep. That match was insane. Yeah. Which only adds to how amazing it was that Reduke was able to uh, get as far as he did. And then we had Takumi versus Chris Ferber. Um, Mono White Humans taking care of Lillifield combo. Uh, and that's the match where you said that the one win that Lillifield combo got was when he got Ugin out and kind of kept recycling stuff to like protect yeah. the Ugin and that kind of thing. Um but hey, it doesn't matter because you got knocked out anyway against Mono White Humans. And then Gabriel Nassif dipped out early to Benton Madsen on Silesnia Auras, 3-1. to one. Then we get to the semifinals. Reed Duke versus Derek Davis on Enigmatic Fires. And is it creativity, which you said was you felt like the best match of the entire Pro Tour? Yeah, one of the best matches of Magic I've ever seen. Were there any high points, any moments that you're like, this is definitively, like, while you're watching, like, is what, it weird what came up that it was the judge call? Like, the even though it was a judge call for a rules clarification, it just made it, I don't know, it was these small things that to me are like, this is like paper magic. And this is what's so great about magic, that it was just, there was already a great, well, it's, it's two things. It was the judge call, because I'm like, again, just makes for complete magic. It was exactly how a judge call should be. It was like very like I don't know, it just felt right. But the other one was oh, what's the white cavalier? Is it Cavalier of Gales? No, Gales is the white is the blue one. Uh, cavalier of Dawn. Where um Derek Davis tutors up Cavalier of Dawn, which uh I can imagine not everyone knows what the card does. So I'll very quickly read it out. It's got a lot of text because it's a Cavalier, but um, it says uh, 5 mana, 4, 4, 6, whatever. It's 5 mana, so you, it's the magic number to tutor it up. Um, when Cavalier of Dawn enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a 3-3 golem. When Cavalier of Dawn dies, return target artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. This Cards like this are the reason why I always feel like you should be able to target your own stuff. I kind of hate cards that says an opponent controls on it. Because what yeah. he does, he tutors up, I think he plays a Moonglass Glass Carrick, tutors up a Fires of Invention, plays it, so that goes to the top of the deck, so a lot of resources used. It goes to the top of his deck, he untaps, draws it, plays it, sacks it to Enigmatic Fires, gets Cavalier of Dawn, targets 
itself with its ability, so it immediately blows up and gets him a 3-3 golem, so he can get Leyline Binding back in his hand, because Leyline Binding is the one piece of interaction the deck has to disrupt the creativity combo. Yeah. And I just thought that... And then later, he has that Leyline on a Xenagos, sacks that to Enigmatic Fires, grabs Agent of Treachery, and steals the Xenagos. And that was just... That was just perfect. Like, it showed, like, such mastery of such a difficult play deck. Yeah. So, it was great pilots, piloting their deck phenomenally. I always love watching Reed play. Like, it's super clean. He communicates very well. Uh, he plays at a good pace. Like, I thought the whole match, like, no, like, kind of what felt like needless tanking. So, in that way, just clean, entertaining, good magic. And that just, it's not the flashiest match, even though, like, fun things happen. It's not like the lightning healing or, f like, what is it? Like, the, the bluffing, bluffing yeah. the saddle, the wreckage kind of, like, <clears throat> flashy magic. It was just good magic. I think it also helps that the uh, the judge call wasn't a um, uh, how the fuck do you say that card's name? Uh, Borberigmos enraged. Borberigmos. Yeah. No, it was. Situation. Um, it was Reduke. So this happened when the Enigmatic Fires was the sorry the Leyline Binding was sacrificed to Enigmatic Fires, and um, Reed asked the judge like, "Hey." How does this interact with using the Leyline Binding to grab Agent of Treachery and then try and steal it? Because, like, how does this work? Because it's exiled under the Leyline Binding. That has just been sacrificed. So, basically, he asked, where is Xenagos right now? Like, mm -hmm. is it actually a legal target for Agent? <clears throat> and then the judge pointed out, well, because the card has the text, until it leaves the battlefield... Because as part of the ability, you sacrifice the Leyline Binding, Xenagos just immediately returns to the battlefield. Like, there's no, like, timing or thing here. The moment Leyline leaves, he's back, because it's part of the same ability. Now, for people who don't know what the difference with that is, if you read Skyclave Apparition, sure, that would give them a, um, give them a uh, token, but there are cards that read, like, a Spell Queller, for example, has the same thing, where it's two triggers, so ETB thing is gone. When it dies, things get thing gets given back. Like the card is yeah. cut up into two. But leyline binding, it is all part of one ability. So the moment it leaves, it immediately returns to the battlefield. There is no trigger. Therefore, it is a legal target for agent of uh, treachery. But it was just so clean. He asked, "What happens here? What is the interaction?" Judge explains. I think Reed asked like a follow up question, like, "Hey." You know, how does it work? Blah, blah, blah. And then the judge said, well, because of that and that. Okay, cool. I get it. Here's my Xenagos. Moving on with the game. No fuss. Yeah. Uh, and then we had, after that, we had uh, Takumi versus Benton, where Benton made quick work of Monoai Humans, 3 0 uh, which just shows, like, how good of a deck when it, when it draws well. Yeah, when it draws um, well, it was just... <clears throat> He died on, like, turn four. Like, three games yeah. in a row. Yeah, a lot of the games I watched with... I, I think I watched more Benton gameplay on Auras than any other game. Because I, I, the few times I, I kind of would, like, 
watch the stream, dip out for a bit, come back to the stream. And I, I left on a Benton match and I come back and Benton's on screen again. I'm like, what the fuck? And All it's right, like, there's cool. no way a match including Auras t- took over 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he was great. I, I think that was just such a cool story. The fact that he literally qualified by playing arena on his phone and uh, got that far. Like that, that's such a cool, it, cool. Thing I also thought really it was really for. funny when he just started thinking out loud and it just, yeah. I think against Gabriel Nassif, he was thinking out loud and it's like, you are giving so much information away, but then I was like, oh, but it's Gabriel Nassif. He already knows all of this. Like, you're not telling him it's anything new auras. anyway. It's, it's <laughs> not something that you're like, yeah, you're not really doing much in terms of uh, your game plan, right? Yeah, but I mean, I've had this before where an opponent, uh, this was when, when Pioneer was still pretty new, and I was playing in a game store, and someone was on up zone mid-range because, of course, people jumped on the first opportunity to put Siege Rhino in a deck. Which they might be able to go back to that deck when we get to some spoilers. No, Siege Rhino is out, like with this new card, but we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, And they thought seized my hand. And I think I had something like like some big spell, I don't know, Gearhawk or or a Dick Through Time I was able to cast next turn, and a Fatal Push. Mm -hmm. And they said out loud, and I had a Bolas in play. um, And that they could kill attacking with their Siege Rhino. And he was going, thought seizing my hand. And he was thinking out loud. It's like, oh, I could take this big spell, but if I don't take the fatal push and I kill the Bolas, they get to kill my Siege Rhino because of Revolt. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh yeah, I get to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, would, I would have completely forgotten that. And then they killed my Bolas. And I was like, oh, by the way, I get to kill your Siege Rhino because of Revolt. <laughs> yeah. But like, that happens when you play against me, not when you play against Gabriel Nassif. So you might as well think out loud. <laughs> like, yeah. And of course, we get to the And the it's finals. entertaining. It is entertaining. This this whole top eight and a lot of the Pro Tour in general is entertaining. And Reed Duke takes down Benton 3-0. And outside of game one, it wasn't really super close. Game one, I mean, he... he it was a like like you said, mold of four, three mold of five, more decent four. Too. Yeah, um, because Benton he ripped the cart that he needed. He kept an opening hander with a green white pathway. I mm-hmm. think his opening hand. I think he went to four. It was green white pathway, um, glade cover scout. Ethereal and I think armor, it was armor. double ethereal armor. It was it was double ethereal armor. So he goes turn one. He's on the play. He has to play the pathway on green because he needs to cast yeah. late cover scout. And then on turn two, he rips a temple garden. And I've never seen someone slam a land into play harder. Like he will just boom, take two ethereal armor, <laughs> get yep. in there. And then on turn three, he was like, ethereal armor again? Like very questionable. Reed was like, yeah, it resolves. Okay, slams it on the table, five you. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, uh, but Reed Duke every time was able to. Uh, in fun, it was funny. Game one and game three are kind of similar in that regard of like Glade Cover Scout. But Reed Duke's like, okay, game one, three fables in a row to keep jumping and stuff till he finds the combo. Game three was a similar thing. He just keeps finding fable uh, and shit. I'm it's just like, it was, this is gr- it was great. Um, it's funny when um, fable was spoiled and people were like, well, it's just two bears and a loot. 
And in this final, it was like, man, two bears and a loot is good. Because <laughs> it, it, it turns arguably, out bears can chum block. <laughs> yeah, because without them, I mean, what other creatures are in, or creature generation is there in that deck? Uh, there's oh, really he would have died. He, had wa- he has one Shark Typhoon. And a Mute no, Vault. He had two. I think main deck a- one. I think they boarded. Uh, they went up to more uh, copies okay. board. And this was in game one, yeah, so you're it was right. pre-boarded. Yeah, you're right. It was game three where he did the turn two. Uh, yeah, shark cycle, cycle, cycle. You've drawn and then the Benton's other one. like, oh yeah, you got, but you got another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is also great. I love that. I love Benton's little banter. Um, yeah, but I think great. like the first thing, or like I think he was like two games down, and you heard him say like, "Man, I'm in a tough spot, but I'm happy to see creativity do well." And I'm just like, yeah, man, he, what a he, guy. Like, he played that deck a lot. Like, yeah, he, his, that's a deck his he testing team with. was called 30U. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, it, was, it was a deck that he knew very well, was calling out plays, calling out what's in Reed Duke's hand like, the entire time. Um, it's just... And I know that's how magic is. There's an RNG element to it. But man, imagine a world... Where he just like seven first seven glade cover scout next game first seven glade cover scout. like if he had that kind of running I don't know if Reed Duke and of course hindsight's twenty twenty of course we can say that because the finals are over and stuff like that but like Reed Duke as amazing oh, a player as he is uh, round four Reed Duke played this matchup against Benton and lost yeah so. Yeah. That was Reed going into the finals because he was interviewed and it was like, well, who do you want to win? Who who do you like rather go up against? You know, in mono white humans for uh, Matsura or green white auras from Bat- Matson, and he was like, well, these two players are my losses in the Swiss, so yeah. neither really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like. And I wouldn't say either one are bad matchups for is a creativity, but they're tougher to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, they have like mono white's a typical like aggro with disruption and creativity can get a little clunky, right? Especially because it relies on non creature spells so much, because it can't run creatures, because then the combo doesn't work. And then your opponent plays a Thalia and you're like, Well fuck, my whole deck costs one more. Especially yeah. in that case, backed up with Skrelf. Like, it slows you down, like, so much. And yeah, I, Auras is just like, this card has Hexproof, and then you look at your hand with three Fiery Impulse, and you're like, well, fuck me then. Yep. It's an 8-8. Eight, eight. Well, fuck me twice. <laughs> he's got to be, he's got to play that uh the, that one land. What's the tower? The tower that takes away Hexproof. I, I played that in decks <laughs> in uh, Carnage Tyrant Standard. Yes, me too, because I was like, fuck that card. Uh, yeah. Detection Tower. Yeah. I played like two of them. Played t- I played two, two in the main deck every single time. <laughs> Creatures your opponent control lose Hexproof. Fuck you. <laughs> it won me games, and people, were, and people would like yeah. stop, look at, look at the land, and be like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, a card. <laughs> <laughs> a card that stops Carnage Tyrant. Especially because in that standard, one of the most played decks was the Golgari deck. With like uh, Vraska's and like Cars Tires yeah. and the Explore package and stuff, so that that really it was it was nice. That's that. So you know, redo K if you're listening. I got your next tech for you for when you go against Auras again. Uh, but yeah, I, I overall I think the 
Pro Tour was awesome. Uh, presentation was great. Um, they did actually even change the presentation of the screen. The Battlefield original, originally was like super zoomed out, and they actually kind of cropped it in a little bit uh, partway through based on people complaining. So it's like, cool, they listened. Uh, bare minimum, but, you know, they did it. They listened. So that, right. that's nice. I mean, what else can you ask for? They have an idea. We tell them the idea isn't good. Change it like this, and then they do, and then it's good. Can't ask more than that. But Alex, the Pro Tour Phyrexia, that's old news, my guy. Seth's old Phyrexia, now. Phyrexia always won. Throwed in the garbage. Fucking worthless. We already have spoilers for new cards in a set that's two months away. <laughs> this set <laughs> is the biggest mess already I have ever seen in a Magic set. They are going to put... This, like, slaps roof. This bad boy is going to have so many legendary characters in it. So much, yes. in fact, they had to put two on each card. Well, we got spoilers, and they're pretty fucking cool. So let's look at some Most of them first. Most are bad, first. though, but don't worry. Okay, they're cool, though. Okay, hold yes. on, hold on. Okay, I'm starting off with my favorite spoiler, and it's not Thalia riding Gitrog, okay? It's not that. That's a great card, really awesome. We'll talk about though. that in just a moment. My favorite card, because Alex, Alex, what is what is my pet deck? What is, what is one of my favorite decks? Vampires. Oh, oh yeah. We're playing some bullshit now. I cannot wait for Galta and Maverin. I forgot Maverin was a fucking character. And look at that. <laughs> I saw Galta and Maverin show up. Because Maverin's card was pretty ass, right? It was like whenever you attack with it a little more yeah, vampires, yeah, yeah. Whenever you, you get a 1-1. One, one. You get a 1-1 one, one. Yeah, that was... I and played it's it not in even, Vampires in Standard. But like. it, 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 it's not very good. But him with his buddy Galta is pretty fucking sick. I also Galta love how the power Maverin. and toughness haven't changed. I know. Still as big he's as riding, Galta. He's riding Galta. And Galta's the thing that's doing the damage. And he's like, I'll bring some friends. Yeah, he's and there. <laughs> can we just talk about the fact that this card is just a twelve twelve for fucking uh seven what is this, seven with, with no downside? Like that's Well, being seven is a downside. I but that I mean look that's is it that big of a deal? Yes. Anyway, whatever. But we're not playing this on turn seven of vampires. So Galta and Maverin is three mana, double green, double white for a 12-12 legendary creature dinosaur vampire. And I like how it's a dinosaur vampire because there's two dudes there. Uh, so just chilling. Uh, with Trample, and it has whenever you attack, you choose one. You get to create a tapped and attacking XX green dinosaur creature token with Trample, where X is the greatest power among other attacking creatures. Or you can create X-1-1 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink where X is the number of other attacking creatures. Hey, uh... This card is so bad. But oh we're getting God, it out on turn so two. Bad. But we're getting it's it out on turn two. It's not even good on turn two. Are you kidding me? So, Alex, you're telling me right now, you're telling me right now, on turn two, if I go land or elves, turn one, turn two land Soren. You don't have the counter for it, especially if I'm on the play. You're not going to have the counter for it because you have one land in play. And then I just go down tick Galta, and Power you don't kill, have baby. <laughs> you're telling me you you have it in in hand. How many copies do you run in your main deck? Two. Yeah. What well, are the I odds mean, of you having about, it? It's about the same odds as you having Lanor Elf plus Soren plus. 
Is it? Because Plus I'm running Maverick four and Galta. of each. Yeah, and I'm running four Fatal Push to kill your Lanamore Elf. And by that time, I can counter your Sol- Sorin. Yeah, I guess. But, like, yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait to do this. Like, this, this, okay, I was not all, I was not anywhere even close to the, um, what was it? The fucking, the Grixis vampire dude from, uh, from New Capenna. Xander. We like, yeah, Xander was ass. This is not much better, but it is significantly <laughs> really better. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's significantly better in the sense of at least it does something when it attacks. Like, because uh, what did Xander do? It milled you? It like, no, it was ETB like opponent discards half the cards in their hand. Oh, I don't give a shit. Like, Xander's ass. Let's go on ETB. Absolute please. ass. He's I mean, also a 6 6. This is a 12 12 trample. Yeah, but Champion of Dusk is still better, because drawing cards is better. Okay, yeah, but Champion of Dusk on turn two is not better than this. It is. <laughs> no, it's not. A 4-4 four, four, Okay, draw on one? turn two, if you go for the Llanowar Elf bullshit, like, that's the same as, like, Sorin cheating in Morophon and then turning into a Sliver's deck in Modern. Like, that is a deck. Uh, yeah, if, if you and I would do play that... that in Pioneer if we had it, but we don't. <laughs> We're getting a Sliver's Precom. In a comic set, so maybe maybe, maybe we get to see some slivers. Right. Yeah, we're gonna get a sliver uh, that's three mana. We're gonna get a Phyrexian sliver that gives yeah gives all their slivers toxic. Oh no, that's so bad. We already we already have that one. It gives poisonous one, which was ba- which is basically what toxic is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like this card is cool. Kind of. Can I be honest? I don't even find. These tag team cards are weird, man. But I'll be honest, this We're is Pokemon the weirdest now, one. But, like, it's just Galtam, and Maverin's just there. Like, He's not at just least there. there'll be other ones. Yeah, it's like, what does it add to a, like, building tall dinosaur to just have a dude hanging off the side? <laughs> Because now that is like saying that King Kong, other, I don't that know. like King Kong becomes more powerful after he's picked up the woman. <laughs> it doesn't really add to I mean, King okay, Kong, okay. does it? He kind of does though, because he's so protective of her that he does go ape mode. <laughs> so I would argue it is like the Hulk gets stronger as he gets angrier kind of situation with King Kong. So Alex, I'm okay, sorry. Sure, I guess that comparison. example. I picked shitty comparison. But like, and I can't think of a comparison otherwise. <laughs> but like, like so, and, it, and like the effects that basically Maverin adds are also bad, but that's also because Maverin's original card was bad. So Yeah, it was. Like, like it's like it's cool. You could cheat it out with Soren. Um, feels like which I'm be honest, half of these cards to me already read like commander cards, and I'm like, this set gets five commander decks, five Brad, and they still have to find room in the main set to put commander cards in, like Yargle and Multani, which is literally just a meme. To waste a rare slot. It is funny though. I will admit this card is Flavor text is great. Yeah. Yargo and Multani, three black, black, green, so six mana. Legendary creature, frog spirit, elemental. It's an 18 6. That's it. The rest is flavor text. But the flavor text is fucking phenomenal though. Um, I guess. Um, so it's Multani saying, I've heard much about you from my daughter. 
There was a time when I'd balk at your aid, Phantom, but she has shown me the merit in Urborg's strange ways. Replied Yargle. So good. Like, I'll admit it's funny. But like it's great. God damn it. We already have like and the new Omnath is sh- I did call that the new Omnath was gonna be black with a Phyrexian mana. So I mean yeah, I'm did. not the f- the only one to do that, I'm sure. But we also have because we don't have anything to talk about with Yargle, right? Like he's bad. It's a six drop uh, for a bunch I, of stats. I mean I mean he's better than original Yargle. Sure. Because that bar, one had but... what, that one had like one or two or maybe yeah that was three like a nine or, that was a nine toughness. three for like nine three six yeah mana okay this doesn't die to six. lightning strike it also doesn't die to lightning axe eh yeah because you die eh? before you play this card I'm gonna cheat it and I'm gonna fling it at you sure and I'll be at two well I probably shocked myself at one point um so Omnath Omnath Locus of All or rather Omnath with a selection of cool arts. Um, white, blue, Phyrexian, black, red, green. For a 4-4, legendary creature, Phyrexian elemental. If you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes black instead. Cool callback to the original Omnath. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, so again, you need to untap with this thing. Look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card... If it has three or more colored mana symbols in its mana cost, if you do, add three mana in any combination of its colors and put it into your hand. If you don't reveal it, uh, sorry, of its colors and put it into your hand, if you don't reveal it, put it into your hand anyway. So it's basically at the big first main, you need to untap with this thing. Then you draw an extra card, and you may get three mana. Yeah. On a 4-4. Yeah. This card's just kind of bad. Like, it's cool that you get to draw cards over and over, but original, like, well, four mana, Omnath does it on ATB. That nets you five mana. There's plenty of ways to get that five mana every turn, or at least, like, every other turn. So, like, this, this card is just, like shit. Again, this is a commander card. You can now build a five-color Omnath deck. Whoop-de-fucking-do. So you could Demonic Tutor for your better Omnath cards. Enjoy. The art's really cool, though. Oh, the art's sick. And there's multiple arts, and they're all sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Omnath does, uh, having black mana is a little weird. Um, expected, but weird. And I feel like the card is very much a result of them being like, well, we can't do what we did last time with this fucking guy. Yeah, it's just... I don't know, like... like what, if he, what if he was an ETB and beginning of your pre-combat main phase? So at least the turn you play him, he does that thing. I mean, then he'd like, be very good. Like, I think if he draws a card on ETB, the card's very good. Because it is a five-color card, but it is a four-mana card. So a four-mana 4-4 four, four that draws you a card potentially gets you three mana and then repeats that every turn and all it has to do is sit there uh yeah it's a good card still then i don't think it's like original omnath might be better because it gains you life so it can stabilize pretty well 
when you when you say original math, you mean yeah, Zenicar. original. Sorry, there's original four thousand original four color four color omnath. I mean the omnath that people actually play. Yeah, like, compared to that omnath, this is even then this would probably be worse, but now it is absolutely worse. Hey, this card's probably pretty good in an elemental deck because no one's going to care enough to kill this one in comparison to your other big elementals that you have, so you get consistent card draw every turn. Uh, sure. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you are sitting across from an elemental player and they have Teamer Omnath, fucking Zenikar Omnath, this Omnath, and a Risen Reef. Which one are you killing first? Myself, by scooping. Okay, well... <laughs> Or I play a board wipe, and then this one also dies. So they should have given those this one are indestructible. My <laughs> Just give him indestructible. All right. So another tag team card. I guess we'll go over these. Um, you read one out. I've been talking enough about Drana and Linvala. It's another vampire that I guess could go in the vampire deck. I don't know how to feel about it. We'll see. Um, it's. Four mana, one double white, and a black mana for a legendary creature, Vampire Angel, with flying and vigilance. It's a 3-4. Activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control cannot be activated. Drana and Linvala has all activated abilities of all creatures your opponent's control. I want to say real quick before I finish this, um, I know Drana and Linvala is a noun in this sense and referring to a singular thing so has is grammatically correct but reading it that way burns my brain I'm like I should say have That's oh <laughs> so like technically it's grammatically correct based on that but reading it as a sentence independently you would think yes have is it should correct be have because yeah whatever you may spend mana as though it were mana of any card actor this ability so <laughs> uh, hey, I thought we'd make it through an entire episode with me not bringing up Marvel Snap, but I'm gonna now. <laughs> there is a card in Marvel Snap called Super Scroll, and Super Scroll is a four energy, some amount of power card that says this card has all ongoing abilities of ongoing cards your opponent has, and everyone's like, there will be metas where this is good. It's not right now, but maybe. And this kind of feels like the same thing to me. It's like, maybe this will be good at some point to snipe certain archetypes. But, I mean, outside of that, outside of that, its ability in my in my mind is flavor text. I'm looking at this as, well, the second ability. The first ability of flying vigilance and activated abilities of creatures your opponent control can't be activated are fine. And then it's a 3-4 flying vigilance. So I think it's fine. It is a perfectly, I perfectly fine card. I think, like, there are also, like, pop characters that people would definitely put on a card, like, like being on a card together. Uh, I know I'm mm -hmm. sounding a bit like a broken record and a cynical figure here, but this half to me reads like a fucking commander card once again. Because, and it's that, but it's like, this is a card that's like, I could see show up in a standard set, but cards like this aren't played if they're four mana. Like, this has to yeah. be a two drop. <clears throat> And it doesn't have to... I think original Linvala is a 4-drop, though, like, herself already. Because we usually and see it for, like... original Drana is also a 4-drop. Like, ETB. I think, like, five. Linvala Keeper of Silence. I think this is basically just, like, an upgrade to that card. Um, Too bad it doesn't have lifelink. 
Would that be yeah, too like, much? Like this is actually like original Linvala, same mana cost, same stat line, but this one gains vigilance and has that like stealing thing. And again, Linvala Keeper of Silence, very good commander card. Uh, so Drana and Linvala, probably a very good commander card. But in Constructed, I feel like even if you want to stop activated abilities of creatures, a four mana card is just not going to cut it to do that. But maybe in Standard, maybe. So I guess like the stat lines, like okay, flying and vigilance is a pretty strong combination of keywords. It is a vampire, and that way I'm bummed that it's one white, white, black instead of like one white, black, black. Because we have seen Orso vampires, but splashing double white is a taller ask than splashing a single white. So that makes it like, because in that case, like if you play it in that deck, you could put counters on it with Sorin, so the body becomes a bit big. Then it gains, does it gain lifelink or does it gain death touch when you put counters? Or does it gain both? It gains both. So like, you've got this like lifelink flying vigilance swinger really good against aggressive decks but like i don't know aggressive decks don't really rely on activated abilities either so i feel like this card is like it's probably a perfectly reasonably statted card but just a card no one will ever play i mean yeah um even then i don't think it's particularly great in vampires because there are other flying vampires you can play that just work well with Soren if you're just playing for that. I mean, even Nighthawk Scavenger I think is arguably better than this for that sense. Um, yeah, yeah, but I was just thinking like if the ability is relevant, I think in other decks you still wouldn't play it because it's too much mana, but then I can see vampires being like, ah, fuck it, we got tribal payoffs for it too, so we'll play it. Where, like, another deck will be like, I'm just going to run removal for the creature that has the activated ability instead, rather than a four-mana card. Yeah. I would also play, let's see, um, Westgate, Westvale. Is it Westgate or Westvale? Westvale Regent, Westgate Regent. The the five-mana ward, discard a card vampire. When it deals damage, put counters on itself equal to the damage it dealt or whatever. Um, Oh, the the five-mana one? Yeah, Westgate Regent. I would play that over this. I would play original three mana Drana over this. Um, oh no, three mana a... Drana! No, I bu- yeah, when, whenever... I, I bullied a friend of mine to stop playing that card. Like that's the two three first strike flying, right? Yeah, whenever it deals damage, uh, put plus one on other. Yeah, I, I just booed him every time he cast a card until he stopped playing the card, and it worked. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying I would rather play it than this. Yeah, okay, sure. Which, um, I, to me, reads okay. like, you think this card is atrocious. <laughs> and, well, for vampires, I think it is. Yeah. I, will, I would also play play a blood vile douchebag guy. Four mana. Every oh, time whenever you your opponent casts a spell, cast they, a get, spell, a they get a blood counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which one you mean. Or a, a blood card. Um, and then he gets plus... One plus O oh, or du- or double that is it double? Um, right. I know which one you mean. The one that no, he just punish- gets plus one plus O oh for each blood uh, blood token defending player controls. And he's a five six with flying and trample. Like that that card, I actually tested in vampires a little bit, and I was like, you know what? Not bad. 
really not bad. So yeah, uh, I don't think this card is very good for vampires. Uh, when I said it's a fine card, I meant like it literally is just perfectly fine if you played it in a in a deck like a like an Orzhov mid range deck. I wouldn't yell at you. I'd just be like, yeah, it's a it's a card, and I, I can guarantee you there will be moments where I could die to this card because I just don't have anything to kill it at that moment. I keep getting taking yeah. three every turn or whatever. That's what I mean by it. it's fine. I just don't think yeah. it's particularly great for vampires. There are better ones at that cost like or even lower. <laughs> Galta Mavrin. I, I do think that one is significantly better for vampires. I, I agree. I think that card is better in vampires. Um, but speaking of another four mana card, and this card is just like, this is just a really, really fucking cool card. I suppose we'll cover the last tag team card. It's Thalia and the Gidrock Monster. A oh, match a made mythic? in heaven. It's yes. a mythic? Of course, Fuck it's a popular off. card, so they make it a mythic. Uh, because mythic rarity is only about sales and no longer about mi- about constri- uh, limited uh, to, because draft to boosters be, exist. No, no, to, to be fair, Alex, if this was a rare and I saw it pretty frequently in draft, I would kill myself. Yes, but that's why we keep mythic rarity for draft packs and oh, yeah, yeah, make yeah, yeah, yeah. every mythic a rare in boost set boosters. Anyway, Alex, can, you know, can you the packs you Watsi... already pay more mana, more money for, even though you get the same fucking number of rares half the time. <laughs> but could you imagine Watsy diluting the amount of products in MTG no. by adding more? That sounds no, nothing exa- like again, them. We, we want to increase sales of the main set by putting more commander cards in, even though we already print a billion commander cards every year. Like, I get it. Right, I'm pretty sure the mini set is probably going to have commander decks with it, and there are probably going to be more commander cards than constructed cards in that set. Like that well, would not surprise enough, me. Looking at mythic spoilers, oh no, there it is. There's aftermath. I was scrolling down. I found the aftermath card. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so Thalion the Gitrog Monster is one green black, uh, one and Opson, uh, white black green, for a four four human frog horror. Legendary creature, obviously. Amazing art, with, by the way. Yes. Fucking phenomenal. With First Strike and Death Touch, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Creatures and non-basic lands your opponent control enter the battlefield tapped, and whenever this card attacks, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card. Okay, so if anyone's playing Abzal Midrange right now, this is the call to please stop playing Siege Rhino. Stop playing Siege Rhino. You should have but already Alex. done that. If you play Ops on Grease Fang, uh, Ops on Mid Range, I especially if you play Grease Fang. But if you play Ops on Mid Range, don't play Siege Rhino. But now but you've now got I can this play card. Both because this ramps. Don't play Siege Rhino. I can play both. I right. can play both. By the time you cast this card, you already have the mana for Siege Rhino. You don't have to ramp right. into Siege Rhino. I know, but now I can play this don't. and like additional copies of Siege Rhino over and over again, and, and then I can sack the Siege Rhinos and then reanimate them. Somehow. And then reanimate the Siege Rhinos. Oh, no. no, it's actually for. At that point, okay, you know what? If you do that, go all in and put Storm the Festival in your deck. So you could just hit all the Siege Rhinos and Thalias and fuck it, put Vampire Sovereign in your deck. Like the Siege Rhino with flying, and just go like the the, the three five, yeah, the the like the four mana, the five mana three four flying that like yeah. ETB drain through the, the, the and, common the the, the yeah. common yeah, and we called a deck. I it's, used to play that by the way. I did. 
ups on mid ETBs. And that's just what the deck is. But oh, and make it a Yorion deck, of course. You can and course. you play you no one hold on, time out, time out. I kinda wanna play Charming Prince in this deck too. Of course you do. <laughs> so I'm probably gonna be playing four of her being Thalia and get Rog. Four Siege Rhino, four Charming Prince, and four of the enchantments, the teleportation circle thing. <laughs> and four Elish Norn to hit with your Storm the Festival. Four Panarmonicon. To hit and then Thoughts is Fatal Push. And then Thoughts is Fatal Push. Thoughts is Fatal Push, and now the deck works. <laughs> we have the deck. <laughs> oh, and like, but you, do, but you don't have interaction. Thoughts is Fatal Push. <laughs> and Lenor Elves. We can ramp. We don't need interaction when we play our cards earlier. Oh. <laughs> but we play our four drops on turn three. <laughs> That's what we do. That deck untaps with the Lanamore Elves and has nothing to do on turn two. No, 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 um, I'm going to need another turn. What's a three drop that we can you play? Just play more Lanamore Elves. Skyline of Aberration, there you go. We interact on turn two, and after that we stop interacting. Actually, we no, Skyline of Aberration sounds really bad. Hold on, i got a double white. I don't feel good about the double white. Um, also, this deck, not stopped by Drana and Linvala because it's all ATBs. No activated abilities here. Even the attack is a triggered ability. But oh, also the Linvala thing doesn't say uh, unless it's mana abilities. So no, it does so stop. It stops mana abilities. Oh, cool! Staples. On turn with your four drop, you could stop your opponent <laughs> from getting their mid-game mana advantage, which is the power of Flannor Elves. But anyway, this card is honestly pretty good. It's yeah. the typical card. First Strike and Death Touch is a crazy combination of keywords. This is like the fourth cards in Magic's history that has it, which is weird because Glissa had it in the previous... Glissa, that's the three drop we're playing on turn two in that deck. Perfect. Um, perfect. We cracked it. Um, and at this point, this deck, deck plays both Collected Company and Storm the Festival to hit all its cards. But, <laughs> and, and, uh, 19 <laughs> and 19 lands. 19 lands. <laughs> we've done it. Um... You can just ramp with Storm the Festival. It's fine. But yeah, we don't need the land. So you just <laughs> snap keep Winter Elf, land, and then other stuff. That's all you need. I will draw my lands. I believe in the heart of the cards. <laughs> but my grandpa made this deck for me, Alex. <laughs> if it's got Siege Rhino in it, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but First Strike and Death Touch rules a battlefield. right? Like This card basically says this card is unblockable or your opponent can't attack. Like, because of the combination of keywords. Should have like, just given it vigilance, too. Why, why stop yeah, there? <laughs> why stop there? But play an additional land Ooh, on each of your auras turns. Auras can play this. It can become Abzan Auras, <laughs> and then you play this guy, and you're like, I'm going to give it the one that gives Brad, the, 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 eye, the eye aura, the, 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 the Pharaoh's Beyond Death aura. Sentinel's has, eyes. There you go. See, I remembered the eyes, and then the dude. And they put Griff Spoon on it, and now they fly. Uh, Flying Vigilance Death Touch First Strike? That's terrifying. Grispoon's a card from Innistrad, I'm pretty sure, so there you go. Um, but, you know, with all that being said, good card, good on the battlefield. You may play additional lands on each of your turns. Not very relevant. I don't think that's going to come up very often. It's it's cute, but I don't know 
when you need it. It, it they needed more things that the Kid Rock Monster does. Maybe, maybe. Now I'm not memeing this time with this the deck idea. Okay, what if you did a um, thing with the uh, Dread Presence? And this, like this, this is a threat that's very kind of that can be scary for a lot of decks, depending on what you're going against, especially creature decks, which there are a lot more of those in Pioneer now. And then Dread Presence allows you to go if you're going Urborg, you go, they're all swamps and go ding ding. And then, like, they have to choose, like, do they pick off the Dread Presence, which is draining you or potentially drawing cards every turn, or the fucking frog? <laughs> so, I mean, you get to play additional lands, but you also get to sacrifice them when you attack. So at least it makes it so you are drawing la- more cards, so you're making more land drops, but because you get to make more land drops, it's easier for you to stay around that, like, four or five mana threshold that yeah. you want to be at, because you don't really want to sacrifice lands if you're playing a mid-range deck, but at least you get to, like, redeploy them quicker if you flood a little bit, so it doesn't, like, bite you in the ass in the long run. So it's fine. And then the stacks effect is pretty good. Coming down on turn four, kind of similar to Drana and Linvala, is a little eh. Like, compared to Thalia Hereticathar, which has the same effect, but that is a three drop. Obviously, this card gives you a ton on top of that card, which is kind of a theme with all these tag team cards, which is like, they have so much fucking text on them that maybe they're just good, um, but it is slow. I think in standard, this could be a fucking powerhouse. Yeah, probably. And especially depending on where standard goes, right? If we're going to go like very over the top with certain cards, like if we're going to have like next set is going to give us like that sort of field of ruin standard that we had, this card doesn't do anything. If we go to a fairer standard format, this card fucking rules. So, Cool for standard, awesome design. This card is just really cool. I was just very excited to see it. A tag team card that I just think is really funny, yet fun, like yet cool, and maybe makes it into your F and M deck. Okay, hear me out. You play Thalia, regular two drop Thalia. This card and OG Gitrog Monster all in the same deck. Oh, but I mean, you could just play this with all the Thalias. I might not play it with... I mean, Gitrog Monster is actually, like, okay when his attacks you sacrifice, but, like, that, honestly, original Gitrog Monster feels a bit like a meme to put it in that deck. But if you play 2-mana Thalia, 3-mana Thalia, this card, you're just kind of playing, like, a Staxi Absan mid-range deck, which, yeah. honestly, sounds like a more playable Absan mid-range deck. Because at yeah, least if you play stacks, you slow your opponent down, so it doesn't like have the problem of I've played some value creatures and now my opponent played a lotus field and I died, right? So yeah, at least that actually sounds like a playable deck. And with Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, and stuff, I mean, and this is a really cool curve cover <clears throat> for that deck because if you play a more traditional stacks deck. The problem is, is that all the creatures are shit, right? Thalia's okay, but it is a two-drop with only two power. Same for <laughs> um, Heretic Cathar, three mana, three two, not a very strong card. Um, Arcan of Amiria, 
three mana, two, three, right? They're all pretty weak cards. This is a little stronger, but it does provide some more stacks. So, like, if your earlier stacks pieces, like, die on the way to this turn, you get the stacks going, but you do play a more powerful card. So, cool curve topper for a deck like that. I don't think that's ever going to be a good deck, but it's going to be a fine deck. And it's going to be a cool card to have, so... Sure, right? Happy to see this. I just wish it wasn't a Mythic, so it would be a million bucks, because it will be. All right, and uh, we'll rapid-fire through some of these other ones before you can talk about Chandra. We have Moment of Truth, which is a common two-mana instant. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those into your hand, one into your graveyard, one to the bottom of your library. Uh, Seems like a card that we'll see play in some kind of decks. Uh, Seems like a solid... You know, I think cool, Impulse is cool better, thing. but like niche. Certain certain decks might want this instead. Yeah, um, I guess. Um, that's why I say I can think it's Cease play. Uh, then we have um, uh, Yuta Ta- Takakashi's card as the world champion, Fairy Mastermind, a two mana two one Fairy Rogue with flash and flying, and says whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card, and then as four mana as an activated ability, each player draws a card. Um, I love this card. I think it's really cool. I am not going to be able to tell you if it's playable or not because I have no idea. Because these kind of cards are like, or I mean, I think of like Ledger Shredder, which is arguably way better, right? Um, there's no argument there. But this is that same type of like style of a card in a sense. Um, and it, it could have its chance in a deck, though. I mean, maybe we just, we just need fairies, right? Is it a rogue? It is a fairy rogue. It is a rogue. Hey, we play in rogues. Like, this is, like... It's not as strong as a card like Notion Thief or Narset in, like, a stopping people from, like, doing these very powerful things. Yeah. But it is a 2-mana two 2-1 two flying flash, so I feel like it's more main deckable. So, that's, like, a power balance where, like, this is more of a main deckable card. I think I would never board this in because I like sideboard cards to be a little more powerful. But yeah. in the right meta... You can main deck this, and it's fine. I just think I think the design is just super clean, right? The activated ability, each player draws a card. Obviously, the idea, you use that on your opponent's turn. They've drawn a card for turn. You activate this. That is their second card, but you get to draw two cards because you get to draw off the ability and then also trigger the, hey, your opponent has drawn a second card, so I draw a card. So, cool. Uh, next, we have a card that seems fucking weird. In bad, based on uh, its mana cost. Breach the Multiverse. Five, double black for a seven mana sorcery. Each player mills ten cards. For each player, choose a creature or planeswalker card in that player's graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Then each creature you control becomes a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. Standard. Commander card. What? Also standard. I truly think standard is... No. No, no, no. You cannot tell me that they won't play this fucking card in like a mono black deck. Alex, Alex, yeah. Standard is a cesspool. They will play this fucking card as like a one or two of. Standard is very weak if this card is good. Like, and I think we have a pretty strong standard format right now. Can we cheat this card in Pioneer? Is there a way to cheat it? No. Maybe, hmm? maybe this is playable in Standard when like Capenna goes and they and like that next rotation and we lose all the powerful like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Winning Announcement, Rafine, like all those cards. Maybe we get like a really I would argue shitty that Fable weak Breaker, Standard format, but uh, enables this card. 
Yeah, you can discard. It's like it, it just it scales with each player, right? So this yeah. is a commander card because if they made this four mana, it would well if they made this five mana, and it would actually be a pretty decent constructed card. It would be cracked in commander, and people would complain about it. And Sheldon Mannery would write the rules committee about it or whatever. And they so, would email wizards saying, please don't. Yeah, they would card. email wizards about it. And instead of turning it into you and target player each mill 10 cards, they would keep each player mills 10 cards, but just make it seven mana so it's unplayable and constructed, but still make it take up a rare slot. So fuck you, whoever's decision that was. Next, we have one that I'm not interested, interested in the card at all, but I'm very interested in the uh implication of the uh, lore it's heliod he's back and he's a fucking phyrexian heliod the radiant dawn this is a model double faced card they're back alex we haven't had these in a few sets and they have returned this time featuring heliod that will become heliod the warped eclipse you tell me what the front half does let me load it quickly Heliod the Radiant Dawn. Two white white for a 4-4 legendary enchantment creature god. Uh, important to note, this card is not indestructible at any point. When Heliod the Radiant Dawn enters the battlefield, return target enchantment card that isn't a god from your graveyard to your hand. Then he has an activated ability for 3 and a blue Phyrexian mana. Transform Heliod the Radiant Dawn. Activate only as a sorcery. And he flips into... Heliod, the Warped Eclipse, a 4-6 legendary enchantment creature for Rexian God. You may cast spells as though they had flash, and spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card your opponents have drawn this turn. I don't think this card is particularly good, but holy shit, Phyrexian Gods. I mean, this is, like, the flavor text explains the card. Um, it's a Johnny Goldmain saying, complete the faith, complete the god. And then the backside says, complete the god, complete the plane. Um, yeah, this is just based on the fact that gods from Theros drawn their cards from their draw their power from their worship, um, which, funnily enough, <laughs> probably means that Ajani saved Eliot, because at the end of the story of Theros Beyond Death, uh, I think the card's called Heliot's Punishment. Um, Erebos makes Heliot, um, like carry a boulder knowing that Heliot is probably going to be forgotten about, and the more people forget about Heliot, the weaker he gets, so eventually the boulder will crush him. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like how Erebus punishes Heliot. But, obviously, Phyrexia has a hive mind. Ajanius from Theros has that sort of belief in the fact at least that Heliot exists, I guess. Um, so, now all Phyrexians do. And if all Phyrexians are like, hey, this god guy is pretty cool, right? That's going to give him a lot of strength. And that's probably that's how he didn't die to Erebos' punishment. So, kind of cool lore thing, I guess, and it explains the card. But, Brad, what the fuck is this card? Like, it's Bad. Heliot, not indestructible. It just rebuys you an enchantment, and then it flips into this random Flash Tribal card? Yeah, I don't know. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just like did they make an did they have an AI make this card? Why is it blue? Like it makes no sense. This is a randomly generated magic card. Like, yeah, I don't know. It is a little weird. Um 
Though on the on the flip side of it, though, this does mean that Theros or the people of Theros will lose belief in Heliod, and they will need a new god to be the white uh, color coordinated god of their plane. So that gives you either let Elspeth, Heliod be dead, let Heliod be dead, <laughs> or Gideon. Oh, Elspeth could be a priest one because she like control all deletes herself at the end of Phyrexia all will be one. So like, where does she go? To, well, if she goes to Theros, she would blow up Theros. So that would be. Oh yeah, she definitely like, doesn't go to Theros. Yeah, <laughs> Can you imagine like, she just shows up. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and the whole fucking plane just gets deleted. <laughs> but that's why I kind of like Gideon as the uh, Theros god. It's kind of be kind of cool to get, bring him back. Um, but more importantly, Alex. In the artwork that we saw, because you know how they, when they do these showcase streams to be like, hey, look at this new set, even mm-hmm. though the new one, the newest one just came out a week ago, we got more shit for you. Um, they'll show artwork only in the names of the card of the artwork most of the time. If you'll so remember, I was the one that bravely called Liliana being reprinted, and I cited the fact that they showed her with obviously the veil and stuff, but they didn't have the text name of her card on the art that they showed, while every other art that they showcased during that stream had text in the bottom saying what the name of this card is that was coming from. So, ignoring that, that's just me patting myself on the back. But they did show some artwork that featured Amonkhet, Oh, which means we're probably getting an Amonkhet god that becomes Phyrexian, which either gives us a couple of options. It will not be any of the eternalized gods because they have been eternalized by Bolas. They are not uh, they're not alive anymore. They're all dead. I'm pretty sure. If I remember um, correctly from War of the Spark. Yeah, they're all already like reanimated originally. I'm yeah, pretty they're sure. already they're already when he dead showed to up to Amonkhet. He killed all of them, and then that's yeah, why they all have like he golden eternal, heads. Then he eternalized them, yeah, um, to bring them back for War of the Spark. But I, I'm saying I don't think there was anything in War of the Spark story be like they switched the eternalized thing. They're alive now. I'm pretty sure they're all fucking dead. And Hazareth's no, um, the only one of those. Yeah, Hazareth is. Yeah, but she was never eternalized. She also only has one arm. Um, so Hazareth's still alive. So it either is going to be Hazareth that's Phyrexianized, or what I hope it is. It's one of the evil gods, like the Scorpion God or the Scarab God. Well, because there were more than three, right? I thought yeah, there the were. Scarab God, the, the, at least those three, I thought they weren't the only ones. No, they're the, I don't remember the names of them, but they, they do talk about briefly like there are other ones. Um, there's the Scarab Locust and Scorpion God are the ones that we saw that basically Bolas control, but there is supposed to be more. Um, I don't remember what they are uh, based on names or if we were ever told what their names are. Um, it's not like how we got, you know, um, Uro and, uh, Croxa, and then they told us about the other ones, uh, by name saying there are these other ones too. Uh, so mm. there's hope, but yeah, I think that'd be really cool to see. I hope it's not for, uh, Hazret cause I like Hazret a lot as a, as a character and a card. Um, so give me, also, give me bad guy gods. Like, like before we. I think there's two cards left to talk about, but yeah, I feel like this set feels so rushed, like not just in the release, but like, why isn't this a whole year worth of set? Like 
Because they, they, they need their um, their endgame moment. They need their Infinity War endgame sets. Yeah, but this feels like Infinity War and endgame in one set. Because Phyrexia All Will Be One wasn't like like endgame, really. Like, in a way, it wasn't very epic. Like, the well, whole I mean, fight at the end is just like be... a couple 1v1s, right? Yeah, so but like, they all lost. The idea is the Phyrexians are winning right now. That's the whole point. It's like Empire Strikes Back into... Um, yeah, I know, but like... But I mean, like, this set, I feel like... I can't imagine this set's gonna have any focus. Because we're gonna get, like, five cards on Ixalan, five cards on Amonkhet, five cards on Theros, five cards on Innistrad. Like... So it's just going to be like, you know how that sort of teaser trailer that they showed, where they basically just went through old set trailers? Because people yeah. were like, oh my god, yeah. Bolas is back, but that was just the Hour of Devastation trailer. Yeah, that's um, what Adrian told me. Uh, he texted me that. I'm like, no, 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 they're just rehashing that, Yeah, shit. that's just rehashing the old trailer. But it feels like that's just going to be the set. It's like, hey, here's a little bit of everything. Really, qu-. You know, it's like the start of every Star Wars film where they show like the yellow text, but then sped up. And that's just going to be the whole set. It's just, appears <laughs> everything. Oh, by the way, they've lost. Like, it's like... <laughs> no, they're going to win. This is a set they have to win. No, but Aftermath is like, I assume not after they've won. Because after that, we're yeah. going back to Eldraine. Is it just like, Phyrexians have won, bye. Like, no, 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 no. <clears throat> the Phyrexians won and all is won. Like, it yeah, leads, now they're going like, It's like Infinity War slash Empire Strikes Back <clears throat> to be like, yo... But now we go to Aftermath. Jesus Christ, I sound like a smoker. <coughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. Sorry about that. But Aftermath is supposed to just be like, they said it's all it is for lore purposes that it ties up some loose ends at the end of... Well, there's going to be a lot of fucking loose ends at this rate. Also, whole, whole different... <clears throat> I won't go into it too much, like, but... A sentence. It's like, the only way the Phyrexians can lose in the next set is if they are really fucking stupid all of a sudden. Because the way this is set up, they can't fucking lose. Unless bullshit. Yeah. Like. Alright, let's look at the new of one of the guys that's gonna lose. God, this is. Tell me all about him. (laughs) Well, have you got a moment? Um. Jin Gavaxius is. Three blue blue for a 5-5 legendary creature Phyrexian Praetor with Ward 2. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value 3 or greater, as we often tend to do in constructed formats that aren't Commander, draw a card. (laughs) Then three and a blue, exile Jin Gefaxis, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery, Oh, and only if you have seven or more cards in your hand. Then Why he does this not have Phyrexian mana? Into, like uh, Heliod does. Yeah. Then he flips into <clears throat> the Great Synthesis, which is a saga. So he flips into a saga. Chapter one. Draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, which, remember, is going to be at least seven. You have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the Great Synthesis. Two. Return all non-Phyrexians creatures to their owner's hands, because it needed a chapter two. And then chapter three, you win the game. No, okay. You may cast any number of spells from your hand, which, by the way, will contain 15 cards. 
for from your hand without paying their mana cost. Exile the Great Synthesis, then return it to the battlefield. So you get to cast every spell in your hand, and then it flips back to Jin Cathaxis. And Brad, all this took was nine mana, having a full hand, flipping a creature at sorcery speed, and then waiting three turns. Can we bring Gee, to light this? I, I, yes, but not on the backside. But Why not? Well, because it does you you can't cast it on the backside. The only way it flips is through oh, an activated right, ability. Right, it's right, not right, like Tibalt. Right. Um So like <clears> Gee, <throat> I wonder what format they kept in mind when they designed this card. <laughs> like, dude, this has so many words on it, and all it says is if you try to play this card, you will never win a game of magic. <laughs> Like, that's all this thing says. Like, how do you even build a deck and construct it? Like, Commander is like, cool, he's a legendary, he goes in the command zone. I just do yeah. fucking nothing for the first few turns of the game, by except for playing some mana rocks here and there to be able to do this earlier. And then when I have seven cards in hand, I go, okay, Jin Cathaxis, he comes down. Literally. Oh, I'm going to activate him right now. The only way you do this in Constructed is if you have a deck that somehow ramps, draws a hundred cards, and doesn't die. So, like, you sounds need to like be an, playing, like, ooh, I was, like okay, you, you added in that last part. I was going to yeah, say, maybe that's like elementals. But, like, you need to ramp. You need to then probably have, like, some sweepers or something. Then probably just an X spell to just draw a billion cards, including Jin Cathaxes. Unless then every play. card you play is a one-for-one, one, at least. Yeah, but once you start doing that, I feel like you're just going to win the game anyway. So why do you need this 5-5 five, five with Ward 2? Not even, like, Hexproof. It's Ward 2. This thing isn't even hard to kill. <laughs> like, and you need to pay 4 mana at sorcery speed to flip him. Come on. Like, come on. <laughs> Jinkathex's Progress Tyrant is a way better card for Constructed. And that card sees zero play. Like, oh, hold on, hold on, time out, hold on. I have, I have a comment here that's going to prove you wrong, Alex. There's a comment right below on Mythic Oh, this, this has to be a joke, see. right? I haven't read it yet. But. Hold on, here we go. This is literally busted. As long as you keep seven cards in hand, you can just keep reactivating after the last trigger resolves since it just returns to the front side. You can easily leave four mana up because you just played all your best spells for free and then you draw at least seven cards for four mana and don't have to discard. That, on top of enchantments being one of the harder types to hit with removal and the front side having some minor protection, even if you get rid of it, they have likely already drawn seven cards oh. off of it. <laughs> okay for to people which, who don't which... speak for people who don't speak potato uh this person does actually have a point where when you can no no they don't because the moment you get to chapter three you have to immediately cast all the cards it's not until end of turn spells it, it cost does no say mana. it does say any number though so you could just do one i guess to yeah but point. i mean like you can <clears throat> do which i think is what they're trying to say is when you get to chapter three and it flips back you can immediately flip it back again 
and then draw more cards. But you don't get to cast those cards for free because the saga trigger's already gone. Yeah, you still have to wait again. Um, yeah. Also, so, someone replied being like, yeah, but you have to have this card and seven cards. And at yeah, that point, you're probably already fucking, winning. I also fucking love the line, as long as you keep seven cards in <laughs> Brad, this card is busted if your hand is full of cards. Hey, Alex, you're probably winning magic if you have a pretty good hand size, right? <laughs> this Alex, hand. Alex, I should just... Brad, no, this card, this card is just so Just play good. Omniscience. Just play Omniscience. <laughs> omniscience is so busted if you have 10 mana. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Commander players are a different breed, man. Like, I love them, but... <laughs> I misheard you at first, and I thought you said a dimmer breed, and I was like, absolutely. <laughs> that bulb is a bit dimmer. You're right. <laughs> oh, my God. This oh is the God. stupidest... I'm Helia's so more playable than this. Yes. And he doesn't even know what deck he belongs in. <laughs> at least you've got enchantments in that deck. <clears throat> you, could put, you could put Heliod in... I mean, you could put Eliot in Enigmatic. I'm not saying it's good, but it's an enchantment yeah, creature. Yeah, you could. So you go from three to him, and then whatever enchantment you just sacked, you put it back in your... <clears throat> you play... You sack Fable of the Mirror Breaker to Enigmatic Fires, get Heliot, and put the thing, the Fable, back in your hand, and the next turn you get to sacrifice Heliot and find a four. You know? That's actually playable <laughs> like in the sense that i can put ornithopter in any deck <laughs> like technically playable card it's like in marvel snap when they're like i can put quicksilver in my deck and i always have a one drop yeah and then you, you can put, do and, that and then you're like no instead you could put angel in your deck and then you always have a one drop Dude, they need to change Angel and Mbaku to their text saying if this card's in your deck or hand. Yes. But let's finish off late enough already, no. too. No, no, with one, Well, with the last card. Or do you no, have something else? There's two more cards. Two more cards. I got to oh, the... tell you the aftermath spoiler, oh. which I'm going to tell you first, and then you can tell me about sure. Chandra. We want to end on a high note where it's a card you think is actually kind of okay. Yeah. This card is uh, a card. to all the other shit. It's, this card is not, I repeat, not in March of the Machine. It is in March of the Machine Aftermath, the weird 50-card set. It's called The Kenrith's Royal Funeral. Ah, fuck. The Kenrith's die? Well... They, we don't know. <clears throat> it could be the king and queen. It could be Lyndon and Kenrith. And not, like, actually the royal scions. Well, let's look at the... I mean, yeah, the... Because it, it does the, look the, like... The, fun the coffin shows two figures holding hands as if, like... I mean, hey, were, the, the twins could do that because they were good friends. But, like... They were roommates, Alex. <laughs> they were roommates. Also, in Alabama. the Lannisters have um, taught me a great deal about that. So, <laughs> you know? Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's a legendary enchantment. Four mana, two white and a black. When Kenris Royal Funeral enters the battlefield, 
Exile up to two target legendary creature cards from your graveyard. You draw X cards and you lose X life, where X is the greatest mana value among cards exiled this way. So if you exile as a comma, you draw eight cards and lose eight life. There you nine. go. Oh, yeah, nine. Uh, and then legendary spells you cast cause one less to cast for each card exile with Kenra's Royal Funeral. Uh, commander. <laughs> I mean, I, I yes, don't know where you play this, but honestly, we have seen a little bit of legend matters, right? We also had like the the <clears throat> plaza square thing. Uh, I think Joda was a legendary matters card. Um, so we've seen a little bit of legend matters. This is even a legendary card itself. It can I recoup would play you some this card in, advantage. I would play March this this if he wasn't banned. March of the Machines is going to have, like, 900 legendary cards in it. So, hey, Brad, this goes in the same colors as the Thalia card, and it makes all your Thalias cheap. You play turn four Kenrith Royal Funeral, and then you go Thalia Guardian of Fraben, Thalia Heretic Athar, and Gitrok and Thalia in the same turn, on turn five. <laughs> all you need is some legendaries in your yard, which you can have then. So, like... This is at least, like, sure. I can see a constructed deck that is not Commander that picks this up, but this card is, like, 100 times better in Commander, and you got to put it in every Commander card. Com commander deck that can cast it. For the Commander players out there, there is actually a funny rules interaction with this, how you can make it work, because you can choose to let your Commander go to the graveyard, but every time your Commander changes zone you can let them go back to the command zone. So you can have your commander die, let it go to the graveyard, exile it with this, so you can draw a bunch of cards and stuff with it, but then put your commander in the command zone. At least I assume you can, but it wouldn't count for the second line of text. So you probably still wouldn't want to do that, but hey, if you need to redraw and you play like some nine mana commander, then cool, you can draw nine using your dead commander. Yay! All right, tell me about Chandra. Yeah, fine. finally I get to talk about a fucking good card. So, Chandra Hope's Beacon, 4 red red, legendary planeswalker Chandra, enters with 5 loyalty. Has a static. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Disability triggers only once each turn. Plus 2. Add 2 mana in any combination of colors. No restriction on what you can spend it on, by the way. Plus 1. Exile the top five cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may cast cards. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell from among the cards exiled this way. And minus X, Chandra Hope's Beacon deals X damage to each of up to two targets, which can include your opponent's face. I actually think this card is pretty good. Um, in many ways. Hold up. This reminds me of the Fairy Hero of Dominaria, but it is not as good as the Fairy Hero of Dominaria. But it does a lot of the things that makes the Fairy good. The downtick for protection is honestly pretty strong. Right? <laughs> you don't want to minus 5 this to kill with Shieldred because you're, you lose your genre. But you can downtick this and like ping two things that are in the way. The plus two, you get an immediate mana buyback. Now, obviously, Teferi is way better because it's untapping lands. That means you can interact in your opponent's turn. This mana has to be spent immediately. But hey, I could see you play Chandra. You plus two her. You 
double up on like a obliterating bolt or a heartless act or whatever you just shoot two things out of the way you have your seven loyalty planeswalker if you're afraid of losing her you play her plus one you find an instant or sorcery that you could still play in your next turn so even if you've completely tapped out for chandra you get to do that um you know the minus x again pretty strong it can end games because she plus two so she does plus up pretty quickly and obviously, if you're ahead, the strongest thing you do with this, you play her, you plus two her, and then you cast two dick through times, which is crazy good. So, yeah. and also, great design in the sense of, like, this is a very powerful card in standard, but that potential mana rebuy makes her more likely to be playable in an eternal format like Pioneer. So... I think this card's kick-ass. Like, I'm looking forward to trying this card. You're the control player. I will take what you say as gospel. And uh, uh, I, I have no way of evaluating this card. I just see a six-mana card that I guess can technically be a four-mana card with its plus two ability. But you still got to get the six-mana in the first place. And I'm just like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and it does all the things you want a Planeswalker to do. But I see six mana, and I'm like, I will stay away from the card. Yeah, but just just the fact that you can, like... I mean, even... I don't think you would play this in Rakdos Midrange because you remove way too many creatures. But even yeah. in, like, a comparable deck, just playing this, plusing it, and then just, like, double dread boring a board or something like that, is, like, that makes her, like, super versatile. And even, like, if you're in a bit of a pickle... I could still see, like, many ways in which she can be good. She can immediately downtick and take some things out of the way. Even just, like, a Fatal Push doubled up. What if you have, like, a Fatal Push and a random Blood Token or whatever lying around? Well, plus two for two mana, use one of it on the Blood Token, now you've got a double revolted Fatal Push. That sounds pretty good. The plus one exiles it until the end of your next turn, which means there's actually a window where Counter Magic is useful to find off this card, as opposed to Chandra Torch of Defiance, where whenever you flip counter magic, it sucks. So Chandra yeah. Torch of Defiance, not even like kind of unplayable in a control shell. Chandra Hope's Beacon, definitely playable in a control shell. So in situations where you're ahead, she's phenomenal. In situations where behind, she's still very useful. Um the minus X, again, makes her actually a reasonable top deck. I mean, hey, in a pinch, just draw her, minus five, kill your shoulder and another big card. Cool, right? And if that's the worst thing a card can do, decent floor. So, good. Yeah, and the, the nice thing about the minus X is it doesn't have that text where it's like you have to split up the difference. No, it, you get, you'd get to double it, which is yeah. great. Like, I've always been sad, because I, I, I kind of like Chandra. And Chandra Torture Defiance was a card that I liked playing in Standard at the time, until they changed the Planeswalker redirection rule in Dominaria, mm -hmm. and where she was no longer allowed to hit other Planeswalkers with the two damage. Because that's what I always liked about Chandra. It was a Planeswalker that could race any other Planeswalkers to the ultimate, because of the way that plus worked. When that was gone... Well, now she's just dealing damage to their face, but, like, I don't care about dealing damage to my opponent's face. I need to stabilize the game first. Um, yeah. For example, in that format, if someone played, um, like, some Planeswalker and downticked it, 
well, now you can play your Planeswalker and actually uptick it to get rid of their Planeswalker, and that was, like, really good value. So I'm just kind of happy to see a Chandra again, where I'm like, hey, this this actually works in a control deck. Unless, uh, as opposed to Awaken Inferno, I think it is. Which, mm-hmm. like, man, like, the emblem to deal one damage every turn is just so fucking bad. <laughs> like, even against Blue-White, they'll just race you with a Castle Arden Veil, right? So, yeah. Like, that card has fallen off, like, a very steep cliff. So, happy to see this. Cool. And I think she's crying in one of the arts. Like, some people pointed out that, like, the art is, like, really exceptional. I've seen it on the card. It looks really cool. But I think there's an alternate art for it that looks really kick-ass. But we've not seen it on the card, but we've seen, like, the whole picture of the art. Because, obviously, you know, she's going to see Nissa and be like, what happened to my not-girlfriend because I like manly men? Gideon's also dead, so she's sad about that. Uh, yeah, she, oh, that's what she's crying about. <clears throat> oh, the manly man is gone. Not the woman I am totally not in love with. Because please, did, China, keep they buying our cards. They that, though, didn't they? The fucking... Like, I they, don't they, fucking they, know. They, they put her on the secret lair. Kind yeah. of. They were on separate <clears throat> boats. <clears throat> like, they weren't even on the same ship. Star-crossed lovers, I guess? Or, like, crossed through lo- lovers, because otherwise China wouldn't buy any cards. Oh, well, that's fair. Well, that was the Pro Tour recap. That was the new Aftermath. No, not. Well, Aftermath. <laughs> that one. was Phyrexia, all will be Commander. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what you think about the Pro Tour, what you thought about the, uh, the new cars, the spoilers, and uh, make sure you tell Alex he needs to play some Dead Space on stream for everyone's uh, enjoyment. And uh, until we get to the next episode where I get to bully Alex more about potentially playing Dead Space, we love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we hope you listen to us in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.